listening to Hockey Night in New York, the premier live podcast covering the New York Islanders and the NHL at large. Here's your hosts, Sean Cuthbert and Tony Stubby. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Hockey Night in New York. Welcome to the program, everyone. It is Sunday, April 5th, 2020. Coming at you from the Hockey Night New York studios on Long Island. And yes, folks, we are back. Yet another show here during this mad, crazy time we have going on. We, we still hope everybody's doing all right, staying safe, staying healthy, and uh, just getting through this time as, as best we can. We got another special edition show coming up for you. We're going to do a little uh, all-time non-North American roster uh, taken from our, our pal Tristan. Uh, he requested that over in the UK, so we're going to do that for him at the stop top of the show. And our main topic at hand tonight will be... The infamous Mike Milbury era. We'll be talking all about that. Uh, for for better or worse, there'll be some laughs, some tears, some perhaps some yelling. We'll see what happens, perhaps for fanity. But with me to do that is Mr. Tony Sabale. My name is Sean Cuthbert. Tony, how are you? Oh, I want to get out of this house, dude. <laughs> oh, my God, I can't. Yeah? I, I want to see your ugly face so bad in my entire life. I'm just kidding. Isn't you have a really fun. nice face. Oh, but thanks, yeah, buddy. Yeah, you have a very nice face, but I, 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 I miss you, buddy. It's been... Uh, I miss it's you like too, the summer. It's, it's like the summer. I don't get to see you a lot in the summertime, you know, because you're off doing your thing and, you know, yeah. playing volleyball and all kinds of stuff. But, it's you know, but, I mean, this is just, this is just not, this is not cool. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not feeling this at all. Are you are you growing your quarantine beard? Is that happening? Uh, I I tr- I tried, but you know, bro, I'm an old man now. True. So it come it comes in gray, and I I, I, I nah nah. You don't want to scare I'm the kids. It, so. Nah, I'm scared of myself. Kids are fair. They're, that's they're, fair. They're, they're, they're resilient. I just I looked at the mirror the other day. I'm like, oh, I gotta get rid of this thing. It's terrible. Wow. So, and I'm, it, my hair is longer than it's been probably in the last 20 years. Wow. So, uh, wow. yeah, it's whew. Can I'm, Can uh, we post some yeah. to the to the Hockey Night New York site on Twitter so we can all follow yeah. along? And, <laughs> can we see yeah, Caveman well, no, Tony? It ain't, it, ain't, <laughs> it ain't staying like this, pal. I'll tell you right now. Okay. I'm, uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to get um, some clippers and get rid of this. Um, thing real I'm soon. sure it's I a can. sight to behold. I'm sure it is. Oh, it certainly, it certainly is, pal. Yeah. I'm well, I'm glad you and the family are doing all right. You guys are surviving. You haven't uh, killed each other yet in the in the uh, self isolation, so that's good. Everybody's yeah, still no, healthy. That's, that's good. Thank, thank God for small favors. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Tony, as you know, because we prepare for these shows together, we got some special topics coming up tonight. The we first of do. which a a milder topic. Once again, we want to thank Tristan from over in the UK. Uh, Loyal listener to the show, we appreciate it. He uh, he wanted to hear our our all time non North American Islander roster, so we're going to do that at the top of the show. But then, like I said, the meat of this program, pal, and uh, I know you're going to have plenty of plenty of choice words for this, but we are going to dive into the fabled <laughs> Mike Milbury era, a, mm-hmm. a defining time. In the uh, Islander history, for better or worse, uh, worse, I, I guess most people would say. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, why not? You know, we 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 ended up, you know, sidetracking into it last week, and we joked about doing a show on it. And here we are, a week later. Why not? 
let's let's cover it you know especially during these times let's let's get it out there let's let's exercise some demons put it in the past yeah. and let's, go from there right let's let's relive the darkest period of my life while i'm self-contained <laughs> in my house for the next six weeks i mean why not I mean, why what, not buddy what could possibly go what could go wrong sure sure hey hey we'll, we'll get through it together okay you're gonna be fine. You say so, pal. We're gonna get through it together. So, mm-hmm. with that being said, again, we we hope everybody's doing all right out there. But we'll dive into it. We'll blast through this non North American roster. I thought that was a pretty fun topic to do last week. We did the all time rosters. We did the well, we split it up into the all time ninety post oh all time post dynasty roster. We didn't do the all time roster, but post dynasty. And here we are. So this was kind of fun. You know, look at some names putting this together. Obviously, some names that uh, had to get left off our list last last week end up uh, entering the fray this week. So, pal, I don't know. You want to take it away? You want to go first here? You want me to go first? I don't want to do it. Um, yeah, I can go first. Sure. Go for it, buddy. Let's hear it. All right. So, I did it more traditionally this time because I saw that, you know, how you did your list last week. So, I, I did four centers. Um, Excellent. Uh, eight, eight wings. Sure. Six D, two goalies. Six. I, I I did well. I, uh, I, I, I went a little I went a little generous on the goalies, but um, right. I, I had a real I had a really hard time with the goalies, and uh, right. I actually list I, I listed um, sixty and two um, extra D. All right, I threw a seventh defenseman. Right. I have honorable mentions. All right, so I so, you know, I went. Well, I have honorable mentions too. But let's let's go through our. Uh, I'll go through my list. So my my, my four centers. Um, and and it's funny because if you go through and you look at the centers that have been on this team, there are not many that are of not non North American descent, <laughs> right. at least ones that we could talk about. So I'm sure ours are gonna be similar. Maybe on my fourth line center will be a little different than mine. Yeah, line. they're gonna be similar. Line. I there was yeah, so, from my vantage point, I think there was just enough forwards to put together a formidable roster. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I I'll I'll go through mine. So my 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 four centers, obviously, number one would be Alexi Yashin. Absolutely. Okay. Franz Nielsen, number two. Hmm. Robert Reichel, number three. Okay. And Anders Kaller was my number four, which you may not know who that is, but <laughs> he was a prominent um, center for the New York Islanders during the, the championship years. Um, excellent defender, a uh, guy who scored many shorthanded goals for this organization, and uh, went then went on to become the uh, chief uh, European scout for uh, for the Islanders organization for many years as right. well. Right. So uh, Anders Kaller was my uh, was my fourth center. Um, do you want to go through the whole team, or you want to uh, you want to do you want to? Post yours now. I guess we can go back and forth on each. That's fine. I did it by you know I made okay. you know um, makeshift lines out of it, but it's the same thing. So we can. Uh, rank you them. you and you and your lines. I love. I All right. So so well well. See, it's funny because you just threw me a curveball to begin with. So you bring up Caller, right? And mm-hmm. you know, I had to. I was going to defer to you a little bit as I went through my roster because now that we're doing all time, obviously there's some guys I never watched play hockey on this list, and mm-hmm. okay. I took a bit of a cue from you last week with some guys that you mentioned and mm-hmm. what you put out there. Now, see, I thought Caller was a winger. Okay, because when I was looking okay. him up, I was looking at his stat line, and you know, I tried to do some research. You know, <laughs> tried to put some right. some oh, effort into oh, this. Good. And I saw him listed as a wing. 
So mm. now you have him listed as a as a center here, and this is fine because I can flip flop him with 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 my fourth line center. You know what I mean? Okay. So let me go through my list, and, and this this will help. And I'll just segue it into my left wings, and this will all make sense. So, Alexi Asha, number one, just like you. Now, I flip-flop two and three. I had Reichel at number two. I got Fra- okay. Franzi at number three. And you know I love Franz Nielsen. I do. But Reichel okay. is more of a, was more of a top-six player, more of a top-six center. You know, we talked a million times about how Franz Nielsen should have been the third-line center on this team, but they never had the depth to put him there, and he was kind of forced into that second-line role. So anyway, mm-hmm. I got Franz there at third. Now, here's the guy. Now, this is one of the spots where, you know, I kind of had to reach a little bit, and maybe if I had mm-hmm. known that Kyler was more of a center than a winger, I would have put him here. Mm-hmm. So he's going to go right. there now based on your correction for me, so thank you. But what I, who I had there was Mikhail Grabowski. Yeah. Okay. Well, like okay. I said, I had to reach into the depths here, you know, because again, with the way I thought that these these guys were kind of situated by position, you know, if I had known Caller was a center, he probably would ended up there. So you got a guy okay. in Grabowski who played just over a hundred games. Obviously, we know about his injury history, and you know the the couple seasons he actually stepped on the ice, he performed pretty well. He, he scored a couple big goals here and there, but look, obviously not sure. the not the tenure with the Islanders we were all hoping for because of his injury problems. But again, I kind of had to reach here. There weren't too many other options. I mean, you know, you want to talk about some honorable mentions at center, you know, it's it's kind of thin. You know, I mean, what Matt Lindgren, <laughs> Matt Lindgren, who played no way, during the yeah, uh, two thousand yeah, era. That's, that's awesome. Right. The only other guy that I see, the only other guy that I, the, the only center that I had on on my honorable mention list was Ole Open, and he played only one season here. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He played under a hundred games. He it, he was he was a rookie. I mean, he barely played. You know, he 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 didn't develop into the player he became by then. I couldn't go with a guy like him. There was a couple well, guys I like that. No, no, nobody hated him, so that's where. Yeah. Like, whatever yeah. the case, but you know, you know, there was some guys that. You just can't throw in there because they, they just didn't do it as Islanders. You know what I mean? Later in their career. Right. So, so again, slim right. pickings. But So here we go. I'll throw Caller into that fourth-line spot as a center, and I'll shift Grabowski over to my fourth winger, and right. I'll go down okay. a list from there. So Mika, Miko Makala, top-line left wing, that's where I got him as far as left wingers go. See, now you might have been a little more uh, liberal with your wing choices. Because obviously he's not I was, the. I, I just I just listed him as wings. I didn't you just listed six five. wings. Okay, yeah. fair enough. So obviously this is not my top winger. I did, but... I did I did eight wings, but that's okay. I can. All right, so I'm going down the left side here. Makala. Now I'm bumping Volok. I got a little. Li- I, I I did have to switch a couple guys over to the other side because it seemed like there were more guys on the right side than the left side. So I threw okay. I threw Volok over there. I have to bump Michael Grabner up now. And then mm-hmm. Mikhail Grabowski would round that out now, shifting him over to the wing. So now okay. I'll do the rest of my wing since you just compiled eight together. So going over mm-hmm. the right side, Zygmunt Palfi. Uh, Palfi, that's obviously a no-brainer. Top right winger in the, in the, in the franchise. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm curious to see what you did with your wingers here. But there's one individual who spent the majority of his career on the North American side of the Atlantic, but he was born on the other side. And that is mm-hmm. Steve Thomas, born in England. He is my number two right wing on the all-time well, non-North okay. American list. Okay, Steve Thomas. Okay. Then I got Miro mm-hmm. Shatan. And then rounding mm-hmm. him out is Marius Tchaikovsky. Okay. Okay. Take it away, Tony. 
All right. Well, my list is very similar. Uh, but there is one um, glaring guy that you missed. We'll see about that. Yeah, it's pretty glaring. Uh-oh. It's another indication of a player who was born overseas. And oh, the, the oh I know. Players. I already know who it is. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, glaring. So ah, you, shit. This is pretty <laughs> glaring. So you forgot Mr. Islander. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to hang up. Tony, you take the rest of the show, all right? <laughs> Born in Sweden. Oh my Bob God, Nystrom. Well, I, I'm so, showing my 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 lack of age, aren't I? <laughs> Forgetting that one. You, oh my you God, most certainly are. So <laughs> I have uh, Nystrom, Nico Makala, Zygmunt Palfi, Miro Shatan, okay. Marius Tchaikovsky, David Volek, Michael Grabner, and Steve Thomas. Okay. All right. So and my and my and my and my my honorable mention for um, for the wing is a guy who only played one season but was very good for the one season that he was here and that's Victor Kozlov. Yeah, yeah, he was good. He was good. He was good. Mm-hmm. I, I I considered him, but uh, I left him off. I didn't even put him on the honorable mention just because he had such a you know a short term with the team. Uh, I threw Philpiel in there as an honorable mention. Because the one season he had was a great season at, at forward. You know, he's a guy I would have considered for that fourth line center spot. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, Kuhlman as a winger, honorable mention. I mean, look, he's obviously not as good as the rest of the guys on the list. But, you know, he uh, he had a couple of good seasons with the team playing his role, that two-way game. You know, being a frustrating bottom six guy. And mm-hmm. uh, Nicholas Anderson. <laughs> Remember that guy? Nicholas <laughs> Anderson. Yeah, I, I've I got a Kozlov ahead of those two guys. But yeah, that's yeah. fine. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Just a couple of names that that, uh, that stood out to me. But yes, uh, I imagine I may get some abuse for leaving off uh, Mister Nystrom. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not going on anytime soon. <laughs> hey, it's on the record. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Yep. Yeah, I, I admit my my glaring mistake. You know what? It was an oversight. Maybe. Maybe uh, I got nothing. I can't come up with any excuses. It just it yeah, just it no, just happened. I, I, I forgot that he was right born there. over there. I did. I forgot. Yeah, I, w- I I would stop right there. <laughs> it's fine. At least I acknowledge the mistake. <laughs> All right. I'm yeah, not, you, I'm not you fighting know, it. And you know what? <laughs> and you know what is you know what his name? You know what you know Bobby Nystrom's name is, right? It's Bobby. Yeah. No, it's not. What is it? Thor. His birth name was Thor? Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that either. Look it up. I believe you. But perhaps yeah. perhaps I'll look into the history of that. But that's that's quite the nugget. At yeah, least for a guy like there. me who, who who didn't watch him Can play you hockey. Ma- with long blonde hair, name's Thor. I mean, come on, bro. Born in Sweden. It's, yeah, it's no. Perfect. I mean, it's great it's stuff. Perfect. It's great stuff. Born in Sweden. Yeah. Perfect. Wow. Okay. So that's, that was my uh, my. List so our, our list would have essentially been the same if if I had a remembered Bobby and then Grabowski would have been nowhere near this list. I would have had Kalor in that center spot. I think the only difference we would have had was was Reichel and Nielsen being flip flop. Maybe that's about it. Right. Right. Okay. All right. All right. So I'll jump into the defenseman now. Do it, As pal. I, said, I have I, I have eight guys on my list here. So I did six regulars and a couple of uh, you know a couple of spare guys. Sure. Why not? Um. So my top six guys were um, Stefan Pearson, huge part of the, uh, the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup years. Yeah. 
Uh, very, very good defenseman. Um, so Stefan Pearson was first. Mm-hmm. Another guy, a guy we discussed last week, Thomas Johnson. Yep, was a, yep. uh, another, another very uh, important piece to those uh, those later Cup year teams. Um, next were a guy, the guys we spent a lot of time talking talking about last week, and that's Vladimir Malikov and Darius Kasparaitis. Yes, sir. Those were definites. Okay. Um, Kenny, Kenny Johnson, who was uh, outstanding. Uh, for the New York Islanders, and in a trade that we will definitely uh, talk about. <laughs> His name later. is going to come up again, absolutely. His name is definitely going to come up again. Uh, Mark Streit, a uh, guy who, you know, uh, came here as a free agent, one of the better free agent signings of the past 10 years for the Islanders, and uh, really worked out well for them. And the other two guys, Roman Hamerlick, who, uh, again, that name is going to come up again, and uh, Uwe Krupp is the other uh, is the other defenseman that I listed. All right. Well, our top seven, identical. Identical. I listed nice. them the Very same good. exact way. Janssen Person, Kasper Malikov, KJ Streit, and then I had Hamlick as the seventh and a couple of honorable mentions. Yui Krupp was in there, and then I want to shout out another mm-hmm. couple of guys who one guy had, had some short-lived accolades with this team, uh, particularly one season back in 2014-15. He was with them for longer than that, but that was that was his biggest year when he was paired with Thomas Hickey, and that was Lubomir Viznovsky. He was a big part of that team, and if, who knows, if he wasn't blasted by Tom Wilson in that series, that might have made a difference in the Islanders getting past the Caps that year. We will never know. And another guy who I, who I believe deserves a little bit of appreciation, even though he does not belong on this list that we have created, and that is none other than Radic Martinek. Mm. Right, right. Guy was yeah, a good soldier yeah. for a long time. He came in whenever there was a pinch, whenever there was an injury. The guy came in, and even even after his you know his days of of, of where he probably should have still been playing were were over. The guy still hung around. He came in during a during a little bit of emergency. I remember he signed a contract with Columbus for a year or two, and then he came back. Yep, he and came back. Yep, he was he was. Part of that team during the early 2000s resurgence. You know, again, he was more of a fill-in type of guy. But you know what? He was always solid. I always, I, always, I never minded him coming into the lineup. You know, and there were times where he was more regular than not. But I just wanted to give him a little shout-out. He was a good soldier. And you'll never forget that. Uh, I remember Howie Rose cracking up that game where he ended up getting the first star. And the guy knew yeah. new English at the, no English at the time. And he goes nothing, out. Nothing. And he <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you actually told the story on the, on the show yeah. once. Yeah, he, yeah, I did. Because he, he skated. I think he skated out around the whole he, rink. Not the whole rink, but, you know, he didn't do the typical you come out, you do the wave, and you skate right back in and run back onto yeah. the tunnel. No, he, he came out. All, he, went he did all, like this, center, this little circle <laughs> in the zone waving. Waving yep. to the crowd That's slowly, right. and then he came That's, back. It was hilarious. It was such a great. It was such a great story. Yeah. It was such a great. It was, it was a great moment. And, uh, it was a great moment. Yeah. So just uh, the only other, the, the only other honorable mention I had on my list was Alexei Zhitnik. Yeah, I saw his name. I came across his name. Yeah, he played pretty well in the short stint he was there. But I just, I just feel, mm-hmm. felt like uh, he didn't really belong there. But yeah, sure. Why not? Why not? You know, another one of those guys who were better in their prime. And he came to this team as more of an aging defenseman. You know, he still had a little mm-hmm. bit left when he came, but you know, you guys got guys like him. You got guys like Zidlitsky. You got guys like Seidenberg, even to a, to an extent. You know what I mean? Just these right. defensemen mm-hmm. that that the Islanders, particularly Garth Snow, was famous for for bringing in at the tail end of their careers. You know, just to fill a roster spot. <laughs> you know, 
that's for, that's pretty much the case. That yeah. was pretty much it. All right, so take it away with the goalies, pal. Let's wrap this up. Well, the Islanders, one, one position where they've gone non-North American very often is goaltender. Yeah. And they've had some pretty good ones. So there are five guys that should have made this list. Um, I listed all five just because I can't decipher between all of them. So I listed all of them. So oh. Thomas Grice, no question, is supposed to be on this list no matter what. Absolutely. Um, Tommy Sallow definitely has to be on this list. Okay. Uh, Robin Leonard has to be on this list. Um, you can only Lock. pick two, Tony. Two. Yeah, I, 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 well, really three, but uh, yeah, that's, that's fine. All right. Um, Halak has got to be on this list. And honestly, after this season, uh, Semyon Halamov should be on this list because Halamov uh, was excellent this year. I'm not going to deny that he's been good. I mean, it's funny. Some some fans are a little more upset with him than others for whatever reason. But the guy hasn't even literally hasn't played a complete season yet because it's been suspended. And yeah, well, I mean, if we look, if we were doing this list three years from now, his name probably shows up somewhere. Maybe. I mean, I think he's got some stiff competition even then. But I, I didn't even bother with Varlamov. Um, my two guys, Halak and Grice. And my honorables are Salo, Leonard, and Nabokov. Yeah, I had Nabokov on the list, and then I was I was looking at Balamov's numbers, and I was, I, you know, I, I, I felt Balamov's name needed to be on the list. So, look, yeah. if, you, if you're going like if you're going by careers, Kenny Nabokov absolutely belongs on the list. No, but, no, I'm again, I'm I'm doing it by tenure with the Islanders, which is again why I didn't right. even bother with Varlamov. So the guy okay. hasn't even finished a, a full year yet. So, right. fair enough. You okay with that, pal? <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'll, uh, I'll I'll let it slide after the whole nice thing. Yeah, I should probably lay off because I'm just going to get that thrown at me for the rest of the night. Yeah, and probably so the rest I'm of the year. Oh, that's it's okay. only going to come up six or seven times. The next <laughs> you know what? You finally got something, pal. Enjoy it. <laughs> no, Enjoy please. It. <laughs> All right, so quick review. You got on the on the uh, the winger side. You got in no particular order. Makula. You got uh, Nystrom. You got Volk. You got Grabner. You got Palfi. You got Thomas Shatan and Tchaikovsky. Right. Mm-hmm. And then on the centers, you got Yashin, Reichel, Nielsen, and Kaller. I keep wanting to say Kalor. I thought for the longest time yeah. it was Kalor, but Kaller. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. On the D, T T Johnson. Stefan Person, Darius Kasparaitis, Vladimir Malikov, Kenny Janssen, Mark Streit, and we'll throw in Hamlick as our seventh. And then, well, we don't agree on the goalie, so I don't know what to, t- what to say there. I mean, we can have a quick debate if you want, but I went with Halak and Grice. Okay. <laughs> All right, it's settled. Halak and Grice. Gonna, no gonna, resistance from Tony. Gonna, All right. I'm not going to argue with you on it. I mean, you know, I, you, know you, have, you have a much better feeling about Halak than I did, so that's, and that's fine. That's that's fine. That's fine. Life goes on. All right, folks. Well, yeah. Tristan, we hope you enjoyed that. We hope everybody else enjoyed that. That is our all-time non-North American team. And, and thank God I didn't do this show on my own. Because just think, folks, I would have went the whole show not even realizing I left Bobby Nystrom off of that list. And I probably mm-hmm. would have had to return my Islander fan card <laughs> to, the, uh, to the front desk and just be on my merry way. So, Tony... I can't believe I'm saying this, but thank God you were here <laughs> to save me. 
<laughs> it's about time you start to appreciate me being around. So. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the meat of it. Let's do it. I'm ready. The Mike Milbury era, arguably, maybe not arguably, one of the worst times that this this franchise has gone through. And call us crazy, self call us uh, self hating Islander fans for for bringing it up and wanting to talk about it. But Tony, let's have some fun with it. You know, we're talking what almost 15 years since the guy was the general manager. It's 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 been long enough. We can look back on it and laugh, cry. And you know maybe appreciate a little more what what uh, what the fans have going for themselves now with the hands that this franchise is in. So, without further ado, folks, we give you the Mike Milbury era. He was hired as coach in 1995. Then a few months later, three months later, he took over for Don Maloney after he was canned because you know it's funny because Mike Milbury ends up getting the the, the all time championship belt. I think we all agree for the worst general manager in Islander history, but. You know, he had some pretty stiff competition from Don Maloney, the guy he took over for. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you you think after a guy who who trades away your your franchise number one center for for a guy in you know Kirk Muller who didn't even want to be with the team, and at what just to make his personal stamp on the team, maybe a little ego trip there for for Maloney. I don't know what his you know his real motivation there was. But I mean, there was, a, a few, there was a few different reasons. The reasoning behind it, they felt that after Turgeon's injury um, against Washington, that he was not the same player that he was before the injury. Yeah, uh, they felt that um, maybe a guy like Mueller would kind of, you know, in his veteran stature, would would be a uh, you know. Um, you know, considering yeah, that Arbor was, was, was leaving and he had recently won a Stanley Cup, so having someone like his pedigree come in and to, you know, to mentor, you know, some younger players that were coming through the organization, um, you know, they did, I mean, part of that deal, I mean, it was, it was Malakov and Tarjan for, um, uh, for, uh, Kirk Muller and Matthew uh, Schneider. Kirk Muller and Matthew Schneider. And Schneider was an excellent defenseman. Yeah. Um, which was a great part of that deal. He played well while he was here. I believe he wanted to make an all-star team while he was here. Um, yeah. But, uh, and yeah. was very unceremoniously traded again by, um, anyway. Right. So the right. point is, right. is that, you know, there was, yes, there were some, there were some, uh, some reasonings behind what Maloney did. He went about it all the wrong way. And he had some so other bad moves too. But, the trade. but Yeah, but this isn't the Maloney. Yeah, but this, so, that was yeah. the icing. Yeah, that was on the icing on the cake. But yes, but then, so Milbury comes in, he's hired as a Mil- uh, Mal Maloney hires him, right? Now, everybody knows that Milbury was the coach in Boston, and the reason why he left there was because Harry Sidden was the GM, and Milbury wanted the GM position along with the coaching position. Yeah. He wasn't going to get it. He left. He spent a year or two doing ESPN, and it ends up that Maloney ends up hiring his own replacement, and Milbury is brought in. Yeah. Yeah, three months later. And so, just to just to that point, just when you thought you couldn't get any worse with Don Maloney, Mike Milbury said, "Hold my beer." <laughs> Here I am. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. he com- well, he comes in and he serves as both GM and coach until January of '97. That's when mm-hmm. he decided to step down as coach, and he hires Rick Bonus as the mm-hmm. head coach. And yes, he so he serves as GM. From then on until 2006, until he finally steps down to become the senior vice president before Neil Smith took over for 40 days. So that, that is the span of his tenure. 
It was filled mm-hmm. with, uh, with, with beloved chants of Mike must go in the stands <laughs> for a long period yeah. of time. It was also during the infamous Fisherman era, which was not his fault. He had nothing to do with that, but he just happened to be there when that was going on. And mm-hmm. just a whole lot of frustration <laughs> built, uh, built up within the fan base during his tenure. And we're going to talk all about it. And I feel like before we dive in to his moves, which is going to pretty much be the meat of this discussion here, is there are some caveats, and, and they may not necessarily have made much of a difference in the grand scheme, but I would like to note that this man probably went through one of the worst tenures as far as having owners at the helm while he was there. He did not have a, he did not have stable ownership throughout the entire time he was general manager. Now, now I know, and maybe you in particular, Tony, might make an argument here for Charles Wong, but you have the, you know, John Pickett just desperate to unload the team when he first comes in. He finally thinks he does. You have the, the John Spano fiasco. That comes in. That throws things for a loop for a little while. Then they, Pickett has to f- sell the team again. And he finally sells the team to Milstein and Gluckster, and they take over. Everybody thinks they're going to be the new saviors after they thought Spano was the new savior. They end up running the team on a shoestring budget from 97 to 2000, okay? And then you have the weird Wong years. And so, again, by no means am I building up excuses for this man before we dive into this stuff, but... I just want people to keep that stuff in mind because we will be referencing it as we go through these deals and these moves that he made because some things that he did, while might have been awful, not all of them, most of them were, but not all of them were his doing, let's say, or his influence. So with that out of the way, and Tony, if you want to add anything to that, we will move on to Milbury's moves. No, I, I mean we're, we're gonna get. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna preface this conversation by saying that I, I, I my, my, it was practically steam coming out of my ears as I was just doing research <laughs> for this because not only did I live all this and can I remember all, or, you know, most of these deals when they took place and what I thought about them when it happened and so on and so forth, but just reliving. And if you want to appreciate how far this organization has come with you know, ownership and now with Lula Marillo and, and whatnot, if you want to get to that point, you'll appreciate Garth Snow when you start to hear some of these moves and, 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 and see the, the drafting. And uh, there's, there, I mean, we're going to cover a bunch of, a bunch of stuff here and I'm, I'm censoring myself because I was going to start cursing already. And I, I'm just I'm trying to keep it to a minimum here. Uh, but <laughs> we're, we're, you're, you're going to have an appreciation for Garth Snow after you, 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 we recap some of the nonsense that went on in this organization for 10 years. It just goes to show you how low the bar was, was it's brought a, down pretty, for this pretty franchise. Low. Right. I'm going to go on. I'm, before we even get started, I'm going to preface this whole conversation. Oh, sure, with please. That, yeah. Okay. That this, when all is said and done, Sean and I are going to prove to you that this is the absolute worst <laughs> run organization in the history of the NHL between 1996 and two. Because he took over shortly before the uh, the calendar year turned to 96. So this would be the worst run, worst stretch of organizational management 
in the history of the NHL in a 10-year span. And we are going to prove it to you quite convincingly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That's that's probably true. Now I I can't I can't go through every other franchise in the NHL and, and claim that that's a hundred percent true. But oh, I don't gonna... have to. Okay. I don't, I don't have to. I can okay. tell you flat out right. that this is going to this is going to be proven without a without a shred of doubt. Okay. All right. So let's get into the moves now. And what I'm going to start with is just his first, his first ever. This this is not a reflection on our opinions. This is just, this is just some facts here. The first trade he ever made, and the last trade he ever made, and then we'll get into it. So the first deal that he made was September 14th, 95. He got Alexander Cimac from Tampa Bay for a fifth rounder, and just as a bonus, his second trade got some guy named Jason Herter. It was probably some kind of minor league deal from Dallas for cash. I only highlight that because just to say that there was a time where you used to be able to trade players for cash. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. You haven't been able to for a while. So, right. And in the last ever trade that Mike Melbury made before he stepped down was John Erskine and a second from Washington for Yanni Ninema and a fifth rounder. No, sorry. Oh, that was Dallas. 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 I apologize. From Dallas. Yes, he, they got him from Washington initially. If I'm if if I'm correct, right? No, they trade. No, they traded Erskine to Washington. To right? Washington. Okay. Okay. So correction. They got him from Dallas with a second rounder for Yanni Nima and a fifth. That was January tenth, two thousand six. That was the that was the bookends of his deals uh, throughout his tenure. Now. Basically, and there's a whole lot of shit in between, <laughs> right? A uh, whole I got I, I got nine pages worth. So, so he made roughly ninety four trades in total. Now I say roughly because you know he made some multi you know tiered deals, kind of you know three way type deals. So you know however you want to calculate those, but basically ninety four trades in total, which averages about eight and a half trades per year over the 11 years that he was general manager of this team. Now, granted, some of them were, you know, minor deals like that cash trade I was talking about. Some of them were just, you know, unloading a guy you never heard of for a draft pick or whatever. But in total, 94 trades. Now, I alluded to some of those multi-layered deals that we're going to talk about in here because they're definitely going to be included in these lists, but you have that whole Thomas Lemieux-Clark you know, Steve Thomas, Claude Lemieux, Wendell Clark deal. You have the Berard, Wade Redden you know, a uh, situation that Kirk Muller was kind of involved in that, not directly, but, and then, of course, you have the, the, the infamous 2000 draft weekend, which we will obviously be talking about as well. So now, to, what Tony and I did was we basically broke this into best moves and worst moves. I'm going to go through a list here. It just so happens I have about 10 moves for each list. Yeah, believe it or not, there are, quote-unquote, 10 best moves that Mike Milbury made. Now, granted, they're not going to be of <laughs> of the same impact as the worst trades, but he did have some decent deals, and we might as well give credit where it's due. And we went through this chronologically, so this is not a, you know, um, top you know top 10 or, you know, number 1 to number 10 or whatever. It's not a countdown. It's just chronologically. So the first best move that I feel that Mike Milbury made was actually that Wendell Clark, Matt Snyder, DJ Smith deal for Sean Haggerty, Kenny Johnson, and a 97 first-round pick, which ended up being Roberto Luongo on March 13th, 96. Tony, what say you about that deal? It, this, I, I, I'm gonna and I'm gonna go back and say that the first good trade that he made was the Barrar trade because he got Mueller off the team. 
because he had basically, after he had taken over as the manager, he, he banished Mueller and said, I want him off the team. I want him out of the locker room because he was just, he wasn't driving. He was not, he wasn't playing himself. So he just basically sent him home. Um, he wasn't happy with Wade Redden because he had had him in camp that year. He was not his draft pick. Um, and he was not happy with, uh, with the, I guess, the performance of Wade Redden in camp and decides to turn those two guys around, trades uh, both of them, ends up with Brian Berard, Ken Belanger, and Martin Straka, who had had a good run and then had fallen on some hard times. And Milbury, I think, played him in two or three games and then released him. And then he went on to be a 60-point scorer with Pittsburgh for <laughs> right. Right. the next 10 years. Which right? is in so, part why I didn't consider that <laughs> a great trade, but, but I, I get but, it. And I'm just going gonna, gonna to – and I'm also going to say that a lot of these trades where even the good parts of the trade end up being bad because someone – some like, you know, like you know, a broken clock is, is, is right twice a day. Well – even when you get to those points where he does something good, he'd managed to screw. Oh up my god! It happened so many times. It so many times. To every every pretty trade. much every Barard, trade. He gives Barard away. You know, he gets struck in a deal. He steps in and shit and gets struck in a deal. And, and the trade I just mentioned and does nothing. He gets right. that. He so gets he that gets, pick for Luongo, and we all know what happened there. We'll talk about that later. Right. But yes, the the Clark Schneider and DJ Smith trade is 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 a prime example. So he takes one of the Clark, who's obviously a shell of the player that he was, you know, two or three years before. Matthew Schneider, who was, uh, you know, apparently they were probably they were pretty sure that he wasn't going to resign. And DJ Smith, who was a promising defenseman at the time, he gets Sean Haggerty, who never really kind of pans yeah, out. Darby Hendrickson stuck around. Right, stuck around for a year and a half, and then Milbury traded him back to Toronto two years later. Right, he gets Kenny Johnson, who's a stalwart on defense, ends up wearing the C, which he should never have worn at the beginning because it kind of forced him to take it. Right, and then he gets the first round pick, which turns into Roberto Luongo. So yes, that is definitely a win for for Milbury, but it'll end up being a loss down the road. We'll show you why. <laughs> we will show you why. So the next one I got now again, Tony, you may your your list may be a little different than mine, but the next one I got is Tyrone Garner and Marty McKinnis for Robert Reichel on March 18th, 97. That's in a deal with the Calgary Flames. Garner mm-hmm. didn't do anything. And Marty McKinnis, while a pretty good player, pretty good bottom six player for the Islanders while he was there, you know, you're more than willing to give up a guy like him to get somebody like Robert Reichel, who ended up being the Islanders' first-line center, playing with Ziggy Palfi and Brian Smolinski for, you know, probably some of the darkest years, years. In, in this in this, you know, team's history, but I mean, they had a they had a decent first line with those guys and that was pretty much it. Reichel was a great player that uh, was a great acquisition by Milbury. Uh again, he'll manage to mess it up down the road, but uh yes, me turning that Marty McGinnis and uh and a and a fringe prospect in Garner into uh into Reichel was uh was one of Milbury's better deals for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Fire himself, Robert Reichel. Moving on, on August 25th, 17, in a deal with the Edmonton Oilers, the Islanders acquired Marius Tchaikovsky, the Polish prince, for Dan Lacatour, another guy who, you know, he played a couple seasons in Edmonton. I don't think he did better than 20, 30 points, you know, throughout his uh, career. I think after that he might have ended up playing in Europe. But anyway, ended up becoming pretty inconsequential after that. They get a guy in Marius Tchaikovsky who ends up having a 170-point year, year with the Islanders, at least one other 60-point year. And he was, uh, you know, again, during he was with the team, you know, during some of the darker years, but then he was around for the resurgence in the early 2000s, and he potted himself a decent amount of goals. So I think that was a huge win for Milbury in that trade. 
Yeah, definitely. Lacatur was was definitely a, a bottom six player. He ended up playing with Edmonton, the Rangers for a while. Um, Tchaikovsky, uh, though immensely talented, was maddeningly frustrating to watch because he would go on stretches where he would score nine goals in five games, and then he would go eleven games with no goals. So, and he was uh, um, Marius, pretty so- pretty damn soft too. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah, well, that's, that's to put it mildly. <laughs> and, and, and the funny part is, is that Milbury hated guys like that, and yet, this, and then yet he traded for Tchaikovsky. You know, well, he traded, traded him away. Him, no he way. traded him away for Asham, who was the exact opposite of Tchaikovsky, right? He he wanted to exactly. bulk up after yeah. that 2002 loss in the playoffs, and then he mm-hmm. ends up signing him again a year later. He brings him back. Yes. I think it was a yeah, year. It's, it's it's almost it's almost comical, but yeah. So that is definitely uh, yeah. That was a good that was a good deal. Lacazette was was uh, was definitely not the better of the two players in that trade. So moving on from that, now I'm fast forward in three years. <laughs> it took three years for, for another for another trade to make this list for me. Maybe you got something in between, but Millbury on May 23rd of 2000 sent a fourth round pick to Anaheim for Trent Hunter. Guy I never heard of before he came to the squad, and he ended up having a couple decent years with the Islanders. He potted himself some goals. And I remember one year, I forget which season, I think he led the team in goals, and it was only like 25 goals, so that goes to show you, you know, what kind of output they had, you know, leading up to those, uh, you know, those late 90s, uh, just before, you know, the turnaround in 2001. Um, but yeah, Trent Hunter ended up being a nice little, uh, nice little get for a fourth round pick. Yeah, there's a couple of these trades that he made over the years that, you know, kind of came out of nowhere, and you'd be like, wow, maybe he does have an idea. But, uh, you know, again, I think the broken clock twice a day thing is definitely uh, <laughs> well, no, more, you, more likely. You the, said it best, the, uh, is, that, is that he would he would swing a decent deal here or there, and then, you know, he'd, he'd go on and just find a way to completely destroy it. Now, I guess this Hunter trade being, being one of the, the few exceptions here, because the guy actually stuck around and scored some goals for the team, but... You know, he right. just managed to, you know, you know what, uh, to take a step forward and then two back. You know, with a lot of these deals yeah. that he made. The so, only other trade that in between that era, in between that trade and the the one that we just talked about, yeah. was uh, on on May twenty ninth, um, nineteen ninety nine. He sent Trevor Linden, who was again on the downside of his career, to Montreal. And he ended up getting a first round pick, which turned out to be number ten overall, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and that was a pretty, that was a decent return for somebody who was not the player that you know he had been when he was with Vancouver. So um, that was decent, to say the least. Yeah, yeah, but, I, I suppose it was. You know, it's funny. I just I looked a little deeper into it, and I believe that was um, that was for the for the pick that they went with Mike Ruppin in just a week draft. So I kind of put a no, little... No, no, no. No, it was Branislav Meze. Oh, it was Meze. Okay, okay, okay. Fair enough. So he was, yes. So he was like, what, the, the third of four picks that they had in that draft year? We're going to talk about the draft later. They four, yeah, they had four picks in that round. Meze was the third. Yeah, so I guess it's because back picks. when I looked at it, maybe it was just because I didn't think Meze amounted to, to too much. But whatever the case may be, he didn't make the list for me, but that's uh, no, fine. It, it was it was just getting the first round pick for. He screwed up the pick, but he was just getting the <laughs> right. pick from yeah. Linden was that was the impressive that. part because right. Linden was not a, was not a, was not a great player at that point, and a first round pick being a top ten pick, no less, was was impressive as it, you know enough. Yeah, all right, fair enough. I'll give you that. So the next one I got came about a month later. 
and that was around draft time, actually. And this is this is one of his better deals. And this was he sent Eric Brewer, who ended up having a pretty decent career. Um, Travis Green, right? No, no, Josh Green. Sorry, I should have been putting first names mm-hmm. in here. Josh Green and a second, which ended up being somebody named Brad Winchester, who never ended up doing anything for Roman Hamerlick. Uh, got him from the Bolts in Tampa Bay and didn't really go great at first because he didn't want to report. He didn't want to play for the team, so it looked like it was going to be. It was Edmonton. Edmonton was the uh, was that deal. Edmonton. Oh wow, I'm really, really doing a great job so far tonight. Uh, yes, Edmonton. Right, of course. Eric Brew ended up playing for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, yeah. So at first, Hamlet didn't want to come over. He eventually does, and he ends up having a good career, or at least a good couple of years with the Islanders again during that early 2000s resurgence. Um. Yes, of that of of the of the nightmare that that day was. That was the one decent move for the day, I guess. So. <laughs> okay, I can't. I can't. I, I can't. I, 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 We're I looking such, at these deals in a vacuum. We're looking at them in I a vacuum. Such strong feelings about that day, so I'm. I'm it's I'm trying to. Yeah, to, we're 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 gonna get in, there. We're gonna get there. Yeah. We're gonna get there. Eric you have Brewer, to. Josh, if you look at this as Eric, its own separate entity, this I yeah, feel Brewer, like was Josh a, Green in the second round. Like turned out to be a decent trade. Yeah. I think it was a good trade. Now, look, that's not to say Eric Brewer didn't turn out to be a good defenseman. I don't think he became. The defenseman that the that we as fans had expected when he was first drafted by the Islanders, but he ended up I think, being and Hammerlick had a better career than than uh, without Brewer question. Did, so. And Josh Green, he had a couple years, but again, I don't think it's some somebody that the Islanders really missed. And obviously, the second rounder didn't really pan out into anything. So all in all, I feel like this trade on its own was a win for Mike Milbury getting Hammerlick from the Edmonton Oilers, not the Tampa Bay Lightning, <laughs> in two thousand. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was a trade with the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's just that wasn't it. So, yeah, you know, look, we make mistakes sometimes. What are you going to do? Sometimes we forget to mm-hmm. <laughs> mention Bobby Nystrom as part of the all-time non-North American roster. What can what can we do? <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on, moving on. Next one I got, pal, is very similar to that Trent Hunter trade that I brought up before, and this mm-hmm. is sending a fifth-round pick over to the L.A. Kings on January third of one for one Jason Blake. What do you got, Tone? No, it's, again, uh, Blake was a a guy who wasn't being used, uh, you know, a lot in L.A. He was an energy right. Guy. He, was he was pretty much an in and out fourth liner over there, right? Yeah, but again, I I think it was a little bit of uh, you know we talked about it a little bit last week about you know just right. a little rough around the edges and yeah. in the locker room didn't always get along with his teammates all that well. So L.A. ships him out for a, a fifth round pick, which again I don't think I. I I don't remember exactly who was that was picked with that pick, but Jason Blake comes in um, and ends up scoring 40 goals for the Islanders a couple of years later. Uh, becomes an offensive, a uh, real uh, solid offensive player for the Islanders for many years, and then uh, ends up leaving via free agency to go to Toronto, which uh, was a nightmare for him uh, at the end of his career. So, right. uh, but uh, Jason Blake uh, was uh, yes, that was one of Milbury's best traits. Uh, uh, with this organization. Without a doubt. He got a lot of good mileage for a fifth-round pick. Yep. No question. Okay. Yep. Next, I th- another one of Milbury's best deals. I think this is up there towards the the top of the list, and that happens on June 22nd of 01. That is the night before 
draft weekend on the eve, which would be the mm-hmm. first trade to kick off this early 2000s resurgence for the New York Islanders. And this is the guy who they got from Tampa Bay, whom I mixed up with Roman Hamlick. And that is Adrian O'Coin, <clears throat> Alex Karatanov for Matthew Biron, and a second rounder who ended up being some guy named Dennis Grott, who was nobody. And huge deal for the Islanders. Adrian O'Coin, he was my favorite player during that era. I just love the game that he brought. I mean, he was like a 30-minute munch in defense, and he was paired up on the right side with Kenny Johnson. And, you know, for me being a, a younger guy, I was just, uh, you know, I was in my early college years then, and, and you know, I was, I was actually living at Hofstra at the time. And that was very exciting for me, just taking a walk down a block to, to watch the Islanders kind of come back to – you know, competitiveness and seeing them clinch that playoff spot and everything and then go on that, uh, you know, couple of, you know, f- few years run of just getting back into the playoffs and, and playing some exciting hockey. And, and I just love the, the game that a coin brought and, uh, you know, just how well he complimented Janssen on that, on that first pairing. So uh, I thought this was a really great shade uh, during the Millbury era. It absolutely was. I mean, you know, a coin was exactly what the team needed. Um, he was a stalwart defenseman. He was a professional defenseman. He had a good shot from the point. He was a little more offensive, I think, with Tampa than he than he ended up being with the Islanders. But he was, you know, as as solid as a defenseman could be. Um, great teammate, and was was a big part of that uh, that resurgence starting in two thousand and one. So the, this was again, if if the Jason Blake trade was was the, the best trade for. For, for Milbury, O'Coin is right behind it. It's just, this was, that was a really, really good move for him. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about his point production. And, look, he, he actually, look, his first year he put up 34, put up 35 the following year. And then in 04, he had 44 points. So, I mean, maybe his numbers still weren't as high as they were, you know, coming from Tampa. but And maybe, you know, but at the same time, they were still good. They were still real, real solid. Absolutely, absolutely, and he, it was—he played in every situation. Though he was just—he he was such a good defenseman for this team. Oh my god, a great soldier, and you know, he—he uh, he was, he was tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. I was—I was upset when he left. I, I wanted them to hang on to him. That was that—that that mm-hmm. same summer, I think, when uh, Jason Blake left. You know, you had kind of an exodus of. Uh, of a few guys that I think left at the same time, if my memory serves me correctly. But either way, he ended up uh, he ended up moving on to Chicago after the lockout year. He played for Moto in the cell for 14 games, and then he signed a signed a deal with Chicago and played two years there. Mm-hmm. All right, <clears throat> moving on. This would come two days later on day two of the draft, and that would be Michael Pekka for Tim Connolly. And Taylor Pyatt. Now, say what you will about the other big trade that Milbury made that weekend. But again, in a vacuum, a trade on its own, Michael Pekka ended up being a big part of this team, coming in, becoming the captain, second-line center. He was a part of that big Lucky Sevens line that we liked watching back then with Bates and Parrish. And he brought a lot of, you know, I thought he just brought a lot of respect to this team that was that was lacking for a very long time. He was a very well-regarded center, well-regarded captain. He ended up winning the Selkie that first year in, in 0102. And mm-hmm. I and you know, look, both t- uh, Tim Connolly, Taylor Pyatt, they Pyatt, they had long careers. Tim Connolly's obviously was was marred with some injuries throughout. He could have had an even better career had uh, he avoided some concussions and some injuries. In fact, there was recently a, a piece not too long ago in the Athletic about Tim Connolly where he kind of maybe not literally, but kind of went into hiding. You know, he kind of just 
disappeared from the whole hockey world, you know, after he after he retired and stopped playing and everything. And even even some of his buddies from the teams that he played with, you know, <clears throat> he didn't really hear from him. And he and he kind of came out of the shadows all of a sudden recently. And he did this interview. I forget the gentleman who uh, who did the interview with him at the Athletic, but he basically opened up and talked about everything and the, the issues that he had with his injuries and his concussions and stuff like that. And you know how frustrating it was that. You know, he, he wasn't able to kind of have the career that, that uh, you know, was envisioned for him. But, you know, he, he was a very good, very talented player. He kind of was the, I guess, the the the, the beta pro, uh, <laughs> version of, of Josh Bailey in the sense that, you know, he, he came uh, he came into the team. He was thrown right into the team after he was drafted his first year, right? He was a, he was a first-round draft pick. And it was one of those mm-hmm. situations like Bailey where they were so thin just for players with any sort of talent on the roster where, you know, he's a guy who probably could have been better served if he, if he did play, I forget if he played juniors or college, but you know, he would have been better served going back to juniors than, you know, playing with the Islanders. He ends up coming to the Islanders. He puts up some decent points, but you know, he never belonged there. You know, he should have, he should have marinated a little bit, you know, in the minor leagues. And then he ends up getting put in this trade with Taylor Pye from Michael Pekka. And it ends up being a great trade. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, yes, Tim Connolly at 18 years old should never have been in the NHL that year. He was, he came at the camp. He had a, he had a good camp. You know, he impressed and, you know, a normal, normally run franchise with somebody who had a, a smidgen of an idea of what the hell he was doing, but have said, Hey, kid, you did a great job. You came in, you had a good camp. Now go back and, you know, we'll see you next summer. Right. And, uh, they didn't do that. They kept him around and because they had to, you know, kind of prove that, you know, that their draft was working and look, go look at these talented players that we have here. And, uh, what ends up happening is that it ended up hurting Connolly's uh, development down the road. He did have some injuries that first year. He has, you know, concussion issues and so on and so forth. And, you know, he ends up having a career that he only plays 650 NHL games, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, he should have been, I don't know. It was, uh, I felt it was a detriment just so, you know, it wasn't so much for Josh Bailey, that it went to the extreme for Tim Connolly, but you know the injuries really killed Tim Connolly's career. Yeah, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, he had a couple of good years in Buffalo, if you remember. They they had a bit of a, a run in the mid two thousands where you know you had Danny Briere, you had uh, Chris Drury. You know, they had some mm-hmm. pretty good squads. I they think they won, they won at least one or two Presidents Ryan Trophy Campbell. during that time. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they had some great players, and he was part of that. And you know, again, unfortunately, uh, you know, he ended up being sidelined by some injuries that. That uh, didn't go his way, but yeah, great trade. Um, again, it's <laughs> just on its own, <laughs> on its own. Very good deal. I mean, like Meatloaf said, if you want to talk about the three major trades that were made that weekend, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> getting the coin and getting Pekka. We'll talk about the other one in a little while. Now, this next one I'm going to bring up, not only is it the last trade on this best tr- best uh, moves list that I made here, but it also comes with, with an asterisk because it's kind of... A good deal on paper, okay? It didn't really pan out the way I think we would have liked it to or expected it to, I would say. But on paper, mm-hmm. when this deal went down, I was excited. And we actually talked a little bit about it next uh, last week. And that was getting Yanni Niedema, a second rounder, and a fourth rounder for Brad Ispister and Rafi Torres. And that was also with Edmonton, similar to the to the Hamlet deal, right? I'm, I'm correct this time. That was Edmonton? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. right. So that goes down on March 11, 2003. That was uh, either on the trade deadline or right around the trade deadline. And that it was, was on the deadline. There you go. So that was while the Islanders were making a push 
to get into the uh, their second straight playoff appearance under Peter Laviolette with this resurgence with the Ashen-led squad, Pekka-led squad. So again, I say this on paper. I thought it was a great trade. I was stoked about it. We talked about it. We thought there was, you know, you look at the defense with, you know, KJ, a coin, Hamerlick, and now adding Nienema to that. I thought, wow, look at this defense, right? And, you know, as we said last week, didn't really pan out the way we wanted. Nienema's, you know, stint with the Islanders ended up being maybe a little shorter than we would have liked. But not only that, it was because of the fact that it really wasn't as great as we thought it was going to be. Now, I don't think it was awful, but it certainly didn't live up to the billing. You know, he didn't put up the sort of points we thought he was going to have. Um, there were maybe some, some errors on the defensive side that happened more than we would have liked, and, and it just didn't pan out as well as it should have. But again, I'll mm-hmm. say it one more time, on paper, Tony, I thought this was a good deal at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Nidema was a, was a good defenseman. Um, it was, uh, you, you were dealing a guy in his visitor who, you know, kind of had, had his run with the Islanders at that point, and... Um, you know, it, it, on on paper, it, it, it didn't turn out. I, look, Minima was not as bad as I on the fans made him out to be, but you know, it was just it was a byproduct of the time, and you know, he made some mistakes, and he, you know, he paid for it, and uh, it, it ends up being Minima ends up being the, the last player that Mike Milbury creates in his in his run here, but uh, but yeah, Yanni Minima was uh, that would have been a good deal. Um, had he played the same way that he had been playing in Edmonton at the time. Right on now. I got two more moves left. And the next one is drafting Roberto Luongo. Again, in a vacuum, on its own. I thought, you know, I looked at that draft. And, yeah, there were some there were some other players that maybe you might have looked at and said, well, you know, Milbury could have went this way, could have went, went that way. But you look at the career that Roberto Luongo ended up having, and I think it's hard to argue with the pick that he made in the position that he had. I believe Eric Brewer was selected right after Luongo on that draft. They went back-to-back. The back. Yeah, the pick. Four yeah, or five, I think they Luongo, went. Yes, and he picked Luongo first between the two of them because he wanted Luongo at the time to be the highest drafted goalie ever. <laughs> Right, that's right. Of course, of course. So I'll say that was a good move. It's just unfortunate, you know, what the hell he did after that. And the last thing I will mention as a as a positive move that 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 Mike Milbury made in his tenure was the hiring of Peter Laviolette. He was pretty much exactly the coach that it looks like that this team needed because, you know, you look at all the moves that they made, and, and it was a lot. You know, again, we just talked about a couple of those trades that Milbury made in that summer. They they ended up bringing in Chris Osgood on waivers. I mean, I guess you can call that a good move, but, it, I mean, it, it you know, it just landed on his lap. It's not like he had to do anything to make it happen, but he brings in all these guys and, you know, who would have thought that they were going to start that season going 9-0-1-1 under Peter Laviolette, a rookie coach, you know, pretty well touted coming out of what was it? He was he was coaching for the uh, Providence Bruins right before he came over, and you know they end up going on this great run, and they they get back in the playoffs. We all know about that that fabled you know seven game series against uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and you know it ended up being a, an an excellent hire by Mike Milbury. Yep, it was a great hire. It was uh, you know. Laviolette has gone on to win a Stanley Cup and been to the Stanley Cup Finals a couple of different times. And as once as as with most Milbury moves, he does a great thing by hiring Laviolette, <laughs> yeah. giving him the team, and uh-huh. then he uh-huh. rips the rug right out from underneath them two years later. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, one step forward, eleven steps back. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, before we cap this list. 
Was there any other moves that you would have put in that best moves list, or was that did we cover everything? Did we get to everything? There is one trade that I I had on the positive side. Okay, that I think that you you left out, and that was on December 29th, nineteen ninety nine, when he took another mistake he made and took <laughs> Felix Potvin, a second and a third round pick to the Vancouver Canucks for Dave Scatcher, Bill McCault, and Kevin Weeks. Scatcher okay. turned out to be a good player for the Islanders for a couple of years. McCall ended up going in another large trade that we're going to get to in just a few moments. Yeah, and Kevin Weeks ended up going in another large trade in just a few <laughs> sure months. Did. Yeah, after this one, so Weeks at the time I thought was an excellent. I thought Weeks and Luongo could have been. I was so excited with this trade because Weeks and Luongo I thought could have been the Islander goaltending tandem for the next. 15 years. Well, that's right? what we all I'm thought. Thinking, yeah. We all thought that's what I was, was going like, to be. These guys are going to complement each other. I mean, Weeks is, you know, was, was a guy who was maybe not a number one, but was like a one B, you know, Luongo was still young and he was so talented. I'm like, this is going to be fantastic. They got depth, you know, Sketch was a good second, third line center. McCall was a guy who could play on the second line. Both of them had some offensive flair to that game. And I was like, this is a good move. And again, Potvin was a was a damaged product. He came, you know, when the Islanders got him, he was, you know, he had he wasn't playing well with Toronto. Did not play well while he was here. And to move him a second and a third and get those three guys was, I thought, was a, a solid trade at the time um, to get those three guys. But he ends up screwing two of the three guys up, so <laughs> right. it really ends up being nothing. But we'll get to that. <laughs> and it was it was a good deal. It was a positive deal, I guess. I just didn't uh, feel like it ultimately ended up belonging on this list. But, but yeah, it was a good deal. I agree with you for sure. Um, I guess if I had to try to keep things as constrained as possible, that was one that just didn't make it for me. But, yeah, I- I'm with you on that. But with that said, Tony, we're at the end of this you know, positive-slash-best-moves list for Mike Milbury is a... Uh, you know, I call it what you will. It's it's probably modest in comparison to the list we're about to go go on right now, and that's that's I guess oh, when the real fire yeah. is going to come out. But to wrap that up, mm-hmm. Tony, out of everything that we just talked about, what what do you consider Mike Milbury's best trade in his tenure with the New York Islanders, or deal, or move, whatever the case? Um, I would probably have to say the Michael Peckham move was probably the best. Okay. You no, know, he gave up two. He gave up two premium assets in Tim Connolly and Caleb Um But Pekka was such, and, he, and Pekka was having you know uh, contract issues in uh, in Buffalo at the time. But right. you know, he pulls off that deal on Sunday morning. I remember it like it was yesterday. He had pulled a, a coin off on Friday night. He pulls the Yashin deal out right before the start of the draft. Uh, on Saturday and then Sunday, uh, right before the, the end of the deal, right, right before the end of the draft, or right after the draft had ended, he pulls Michael Pekka out of a hat. And, you know, Pekka was exactly what this team needed. He was a, he was a yep. leader. He took the spotlight off of Yashin because he, you know, Yashin didn't have to be, you know, the, um, you know, uh, the, you know, the leader of the, or the vocal guy in the locker room. It was really it was it was a smart move at the time because it was a guy who just needed to get out of Buffalo. The Islanders had plenty of assets; they had money to spend at that point. They were trying to you know turn that corner and 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 make a move you know moving forward, new ownership. And it was it was of the three trades that weekend, it was far and away the best trade because it was the trade that was needed the most. 
So I will say that of you know trading wise, Pekka was definitely the best trade that he made. Um, draft pick wise, I think that nobody can question the fact that Roberto Luongo was definitely his is the hands down best draft pick that he ever made. Um, it's not even close. After that, I mean, and again, right. that's another conversation we're going to have in a few minutes. But um, yeah, Luongo is was no question. You know, the trade to get that pick was one thing, and then making him uh, p- picking him there was definitely uh, the right move. So um, I will say that that was his best draft pick that he made. So of the two things, and Laviolette was no question was the best coach he hired. Yeah, well, I don't even think that needed to be discussed, but. As far as yeah. trades well, go, we'll, we'll go through that list later. Too, yeah, so. I think you made you make a great case for the Pekka trade being his best, but I'm actually going to disagree, and I'm going to go with that deal he made two two days later, and that's the deal for Adrian O'Coin. And the reason why is is because maybe he wasn't as big a leader as Mike Pekka was, and although he was one of the bigger leaders on that Islander squad, was just also I feel like it was the most bang for buck deal that the Islanders made. You know, I mean, yes, you can make an argument for Jason Blake for the fifth, but but overall, I think oh, getting O'Coin for what he sent the other way was pretty much nothing. He pretty much gave up nothing for this guy. I mean, he gave up two, you know, like you just mentioned, two big assets in Connolly and Pia, two guys that, look, you would have rather kept than, than, than unloaded, right, at the end of the day. But I feel like with a coin, you look back at that deal, and, and, he, and he got it from essentially nothing. And he ended up being such a huge part of that team. If you rattle off some of the more important names of you know those 2002 to 2004 teams, whatever you want to call it, I feel like he's you know right up there towards the top of that list. And you know, I just feel like for the assets that went the other way, uh, it ends up becoming a, a bigger win for Milbury. Now you can definitely make a good argument that Mike Pekka might have been the more important piece. I'll give you that. But I think at the end of the day, if you just look at what he gave up in comparison to both deals, I think the coin deal had more value. Okay, I mean it's you know it's it's subjective. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, we're looking at it from two different yeah. angles, and that's fine. I'm right, looking at it more from the value end. You know, as far as the actual pieces that were involved, you're looking at it more for, you know, I guess what what Pekka brought to the team as a whole. Yes, but I also you know. I'm looking looking at the pieces that were being traded because he had gotten Yash in the day before, and now he's acquiring Pekka. Tim Connolly was an offensive player; he had to be on the top two lines. So, you know, he's a 21 year old kid at the time. There's no you're not sending him to the minors, you know. So you're trading basically you're you're upgrading Connolly to Pekka, and Pyatt was a guy who I think that they realized when after they got him was never going to be the offensive force that they thought he was going to be when they drafted him. Right. So again, you're taking a diminished product. A uh, d- d- uh, diminished asset in Pyatt that you thought was going to be an offensive power forward, he never turns up being that player. Right. And then you take a guy in Connolly and you're just upgrading him to a guy like like Pekka, who's already you know 25 years old, 26 years old at the time when you acquire him. Um, a guy you're going to be able to sign to a long term deal. You know he's going to you know he's gonna, he's going to wear the C on uh, you know on during his time here. So. Yes, I believe the second round pick in Matthew Biron was was a was a good move to get a coin, but you know, having no spot for Connolly after making the trade the day before and the one that you're currently trying to move him in and just moving a guy in Pyatt that doesn't really kind of fit to the to the description of what you were drafting when you got him, I, I thought that was a was was a pretty good move on Milbury's part, moving two assets that he really at that point didn't have any use for. 
Yeah, well, look, at the end of the day, I don't I don't think there's a, there's a real heavy debate to be had. They were both very good deals, and, and you can see the, the merit in each one. And, you know, one suits your particular taste, one suited mine, and two of his best deals, and that's the end of that. And and we're done with the praise, and now, now it's time for the bashing. Now it's time to talk about what Millbury is most remembered for, and that is for... Every misstep, every debacle, every asinine, insane move that this young gentleman at the time decided to make while he had the reins as the general manager of the New York Islanders. Now, Tony, if you want, I can keep leading the way here with this chronological order of of worst moves. Um, I imagine our lists are going to be similar. If there's anything you want to jump in here at the top, that's fine. Otherwise, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, you do that because I think once we get through these top ten, I'm going to have a little more info to go through. So let's let's just well, you 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 lead the way, buddy. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Number one on the shittiest Mike Milbury trades or deals or moves is on November seventeenth, nineteen ninety six. Brian Smolinski dealt to the Pittsburgh Penguins for Andreas. Johansson and Darius Casperitis. The other way around. That one hurt. What do you mean the other way around? <laughs> the other way around. Smolinski went to the Islanders for Casperitis. Did I say they went to Pittsburgh? Johansson. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe this quarantine is really just doing some bad things to my brain, it, Tony. It, it brought, it, every, it's been a rough show for me tonight. I have to say, it's 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 all right. It's all right. <laughs> Look, it, it happened. You're not you're not looking at you're not looking at me smiling at you like I usually am. So I, I get it. I, I mean, got quarantine brain. People. I don't know what it is. You know? Well, hopefully, it's, hopefully the listeners different. can at least have a laugh, right? I don't take myself yeah. too seriously. You're gonna you're gonna have a laugh. You're, you're gonna have a laugh when you go back and you yeah. upload it. So. All right, so let's try that again. Brian Smolinski comes over to the Islanders, right? And mm-hmm. Darius Kasparitis and Andreas Johansson go to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And yep. uh, that was that was not well received by the Islander fan base, and I think that includes both you and I, right, Tony? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Casparitis was a fan favorite; he was lo- he was beloved by Islander fans. And Mike Milbury will be the first one to tell you that this is the trade that he most regrets making, uh, and he he definitely missed on the fact that he he thought he was getting a. You know, a perennial 30-goal scorer in Brian Smolinski that never turns out to be the case. Um, Smolinski, decent player in his time, ends up um, will be moved in another horrible deal that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, But yeah. Kasparaitis was a guy that he never should have dealt. He realized he never should have dealt him. And uh, it turned out to be uh, one, one of, if not his worst uh, deals of his uh, his tenure here is, is uh, severely missing on on trading of uh, of Darius Gasparitis. Yeah, I just, I mean, again, beloved by the fans, he, he still went on to have a good portion of, of his career after the deal. I just, I don't understand, but it happened, and, and this is this is one of the early early signs that maybe Mike Milbury wasn't the, the best man for the job. Now, you alluded to another deal that we might as well cover now, because I actually do not have this deal as part of this list for me, but I don't want you to think I'm overlooking it. And I left it out very specifically for one of the caveats I provided at the top of this segment. And that is the 
trade that sent Palfi and Smolinski to L.A. We're obviously mm-hmm. we, we were going to talk about it, but it wasn't wasn't going to be part of this list for me because this was a trade that was mandated by the ownership. Okay, this was a trade where Howard Milstein and Steve Gluckstern basically said to Mike Milbury, "We don't want to pay this guy." Get rid of them. We don't care where you send them. And and that's actually <laughs> painfully true because as many Islander fans who are around during that era know, that Milbury initially traded him to the New York Rangers, and it was nixed by the league. It was nixed by um, Gary Bettman. It, no, it was not. It, it wasn't, wasn't nixed, it? nixed by Bettman. It was, no, what happened was, uh, what happened I thought, was I thought that, Bettman stepped in. No, it was what happened. Well, this is what happened. It was the the Islander ownership had actually agreed to the trade to send him to the Rangers. Okay, for I believe it was Nicholas Sundstrom, Todd Harvey. That sounds familiar. Um, yeah, yeah, it was another player, two first round picks, I think, or something like that. So that effect and money. It was a, oh, it was, it was definitely money, money involved. Yeah, yes, there was a lot of money involved. And Milbury knew that this was a complete nightmare. So what he did was he leaked it to the press. And the oh, press okay, this is ringing a bell that now. Palfi, right, that Palfi was yeah. going to get traded from the Islanders to the Rangers, and New York exploded. And the league stepped in. So they did ultimately step in. They heard about how much money it was yeah. and said, this is not a good idea. Where okay. you know, I think you, I think you need to go and look someplace else for this trade. Okay, so, so it was entirely wrong. There was just another step in yeah, between, well, but the, the league, league did, did step in. They well, the league uh, grabbed the ownership of the Islanders and said, "You can't, you can't trade the guy for money," and that's that's not going to happen. So you have to make, you know, the trade has to be competitive. It's not about cash. So the they didn't mix it. But they basically said you need to go find other offers and see what you got. So they were having an issue because uh, a lot, you know, these guys wanted money and they weren't overly interested in, in 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 talent. They wanted to try to recoup some of their assets, and they looked at Palfi as if they could just sell them off. Yeah. yeah. So the league ends up putting the LA Kings together with the Islanders. And they put a deal together, um, a package that Milbury originally did not have Ole Jokin in, in the trade. Right. Originally, it was a that, young yeah. winger named Scott Barney. And Barney was a big, powerful power forward that Milbury had, had his eye on in the draft and that didn't, didn't end up getting. And that was the guy that he wanted to center the deal around. It was Josh Green, Matthew Biron, Scott Barney, and the first round pick right. for Palfi. And Smolinski went into the deal late because Smolinski actually had requested a trade. Yeah, you said that Palfi last week. Yeah. Out of here. And he was like a last minute kind of, you know, got into the deal as well. So the league says you can't, you can't, you got to take Jokinen. You can't take Barney. And nobody wanted Barney. He didn't want any part of Jokinen. He had, he had passed on Jokinen when he had the opportunity to draft him and he didn't take him. And, he didn't want Jokinen. He wanted he wanted Scott Barney, and the league basically forced him to take Jokinen in the trade, right. and that was ended up being the deal. So Milbury took a 
you know, like, yes, he did the good thing by getting the deal uh, Knicks with the Rangers because that's something that the Allen fans would have never lived down in there. Oh, history, my God. If they would have <laughs> traded Poppy to the Rangers. I mean, but nothing, no less. I mean, not that you needed to, to make, you know, Milbury's tenure look any worse, right? But imagine if he also ended up being the guy who traded Ziggy Poffy to the Rangers just to put a bow on oh, this whole error that he had. Oh, my God. Exactly. Exactly, and then if, if and then the push comes to shove, the best player end up being in the trade. He didn't even want, I know, and practically gave him away. Yeah, less than mm-hmm. almost almost a year to the day later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as awful as this trade was, I mean, I can't I can't really knock Milbury for it, and and also now for for a second reason is because again you 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 you. You know, remind me of this is, is how he leaked the the Rangers situation to the press. He basically ultimately is, you know, re- the reason why maybe he didn't get dealt to the Rangers. So I guess, hey, good on you, Milbury. But but ultimately, I can't really blame Milbury for this trade because he was forced to do it. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to deal. Paul. He was the team's franchise player. He was he was a he was a forty goal sniper. He was the face of the franchise. You know. Right. So I can't I can't give Milbury, you know, uh shit for making that deal. You can't give him all the blame for no. it. I mean no. it was <laughs> part of it, but you can't yeah. give all of it for him. No. I mean I, I you know, hearing the story about trying to get this guy Barney instead of Jokinen makes it sound worse. <laughs> makes it even worse than it was. But right. But again, I can't I can't get on Milbury for that because you know, look, uh, he's he's a he was an, a human being trying to hold on to his job, and his bosses said, "Well, if you want to keep your job, you're going to make this deal. You'll do what I say. Yeah, right, you'll do what I say." And so. Barney, who was a talented player, who was a talented prospect, no less, had back problems and ended up playing, I think, less than 150 games in the NHL and and ended up fading into obscurity. So you know, it's it, it was much better getting Jokin in if it would have been even even better. If they would have kept them. Right. Right. Well, moving on. <laughs> now, maybe you can give me a little backstory on this trade because some of these deals that I looked at, you know, I kind of, you know, took a look at it on paper. There might be some underlying stories. Like, again, like you talked about Smolinski wanting out. I didn't really know that. I mean, you go back and what was I? How old was I back then? I was like fourteen. I was like fourteen when that Smolinski <laughs> trade was made for uh, for Kasparitis, right? So, you know, back then I didn't know every underlying thing that was going on. I'm sure you you knew a lot more that was going on, you know, for me back then. I was more of a guy who just paid attention to what was going on in the ice for the most part, right? You know, maybe read some interesting clippings <laughs> here and there, and then in Newsday back when uh, what was it, John Valenti, I think, was covering the team at the time. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway. This deal stood out to me because I was like, oh, wow, what's going on here? And I believe it was a trade deadline deal, so I'm sure that had something to do with it. But I also found it rather curious that Mike Milbury was only able to get a fifth-round draft pick for Derek King from the Hartford Whalers on March 18th of 97. Do you have anything further that goes into that deal, or was that just a desperation, you know, might as well get something for him type of thing? That's exactly what it was. Okay. It was, you know, King King was on the downside of his career at that point and um he had had a tough season, you know, uh I forget. I want I I wanted to I I I meant to look this up before, but you know, it was it was really what it came down to was that they 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 wanted to give they they needed to move Derek King and the you know, the the Hartford deal like we were thinking as fans that it was going to be a you know, it was going to be a great thing. You know, Derek King has had such a great career and, 
and whatnot. And he ends up that season, uh, he was only 29 years old when they traded him. But he had 23 goals and 53 points that year uh, in 96-97. He goes to Hartford. He has two decent years, I guess. Uh, He only played 12 games in Hartford. He went to Toronto. He was a free agent, so I guess they, they knew they were only renting him out at that point. He had two 20-goal years for Toronto, um, and uh, he finished his career in St. Louis at 32 years old. But um, he was definitely not, uh, I guess, having the season that he had he had, had previous, you know, he had, had previously when uh, you know when he was playing with Terjan and scoring, you know, 30, 35 goals a year. Yeah, uh, 40, 40 to one year uh, back in uh, 91, 92. Mm. But yeah, I mean, you know, everyone was thinking he could have gotten better than a fifth round pick. Yeah, that he, stuck I out to me. Just, yeah. yeah, I think he just flinched at the, at, you know, at the time and, and said, okay, this is the best I could do. And then he sent them to Hartford. Okay, fair enough. Now, did you even have that deal on your list or did you kind of just overlook that one? No, it was a, it was a throwaway deal for me. I got yeah. much worse shit on here. <laughs> I'm sure you do. So do I. And this next one's a doozy for me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. This this is probably one of the worst in history for Mike mm-hmm. Milbury. And that yeah. is on February 6, 1998. Yep. Todd Bertuzzi, Brian McCabe gets sent to the Vancouver Canucks. For and a third-round pick. And a third-round pick for Canucks captain Trevor Linden, a great, great player in his own right. He had a fantastic career with the Canucks previous to coming over to the Islanders. But you want to talk about one of the all-time worst trades that Mike Milbury ever made? This, this, this trade is on your list because because yes, he, he gave up a top pairing defenseman, a top line winger, and a third round pick for a guy who was thirty-two years old and on the downside of his career. Right? Just. I mean, there's no justifying brutal. it. There's no defending this trade. None. Nope. Brutal. Because he had a problem with McCabe. He had a problem with Pertuzzi. Yeah. And well, apparently, you know, had a problem with a lot of guys. So, what does that tell you? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, I, there's, there's, I got nine pages worth of problems he has here. But <laughs> he had a problem with those two guys. He felt that they were quote unquote a bad influence on younger players, and they needed he needed to ship them out of town. So, what did he do? He shipped them both off in the same trade. See, that was the thing that Milbury did so poorly during his career is that he never maximized his talent. He never maximized his assets. You know, he was willing to package deals. He was not a made to, not afraid to make big trades. But if he wanted a guy off of his team, he just, you know, like, oh. Right. He, he had an itchy trigger finger. He had no patience. Right. He had no patience. Right. He, right. he wanted he everything done like yesterday. He ran his team like a fantasy hockey owner. Yeah, you know, it's like you know, this guy's not producing this week. Just get rid of him. Right. And it, it happened. I got page after page after page of his, you know, his, his impatience. And, right. You know, and even it, if he it, was right about these guys being a bad influence, you know what? What that's here nor there. But but even if he was right about that, you don't just take the first deal that comes your way. Right. And and there's no way. There is no way that there wasn't another team in in that league that was that would have been willing to give Mike Milbury something better for that package of players. I agree. I mean, I agree there's 100%. no way. I mean, because you you know how how highly touted those two guys were at the time. I mean, yep. McCabe was even a captain before he left. I mean, he was he was the youngest captain in history at the time for the Islanders, mm-hmm. but. You know, again, these guys came from great pedigree. They had huge expectations. 
and this is all you get for him. Is like you said. Right. I mean, you said it perfectly. Thirty-two year old guy who again had a great career, uh, one of the most well-respected leaders in the NHL at the time. He was up there, you know, in, in the conversation back then of one of, of one of the greatest captains, you know, of that time. You know, mm-hmm. but that's all well and good. But if you're trying to build a team, you know, which is which is a young team, and yeah, sure, you need veteran help and whatnot. But I mean, just. <laughs> Uh, I mean, uh, this this was again one of the all time worst, and 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 you know that's that's kind of maybe the the biggest the biggest uh, of the earlier signs that, that that we were seeing that Mike Milbury was just unhinged, you know. I mean, well, because the amazing thing was there were crazier things to come later, bro. There were it, the, this is the thing on this first page of 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 shitty Milbury trade. <laughs> there are three examples of of impatience right off the bat. It was the trade with Wade Redden. It was the trade of McCabe and Bertuzzi. And the one that I know is going to be next on your list, so I'll just preempt you and just tell you, if just get it out there, which was on May 30th, 1998. That's right. Is J.P. Dumont for a guy named Dimitri Nabokov. <laughs> and the fifth. They sent a fifth with Dumont. Right. For Dimitri Nabokov, who ends up playing 33 games for the Islanders God. and then went to Europe and was never heard from again. How many times have we heard that? <laughs> and was yeah. never heard from again. Never heard from again. And Dumont ended up playing like 800 NHL games. He ends up being a 20 goal, you know, six time 20 goal scorer. Had some good years at Buffalo, Nabokov, good years at Nashville. Played. Yeah. Right. And he was the first, he was the uh, first round pick of the Islanders in '96. Milbury's first draft, tra- drafted in '96, traded in '98. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Dimitri Nabokov. I don't get it. Just so then you move you move on to the next impatient trade. Did that right? take and place on January 9th, nineteen ninety nine? That is exactly <laughs> the one, my friend, and that was trading his. One of his earlier impatient trades and guy who won Rookie of the Year turned out to be uh, everything that we were hoping he was going to be when they acquired him, when they sent Brian Berard to the Toronto Maple Leafs for Felix Potvin. Now, Felix Potvin, if they would have acquired him in 1995, would have been a fantastic trade when he right. was one of the top goalies in the NHL. Sure, yeah. When they acquired Felix Potvin, he was not one of the top goalies in the NHL. No. And Felix the Cat looked like more like Felix the Slug. <laughs> Felix the Slug. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Maybe Felix the Kitten? <laughs> or or Felix, Felix the, the Aging Cat? <laughs> the the Aged well, Cat? Well, and here's the thing. You had Tommy Salo on his team already. So what did you do? You sent Salo home after you acquired Potsdam because Potsdam was going to play. And yeah. then you waited to trade him. And you take a perfectly good starting goaltender in the NHL, and you traded him on March twentieth, nineteen ninety nine, to the Edmonton Oilers for Matt Lindgren. <laughs> Another just head scratcher. I mean, if I've ever seen one before. How do you how do you justify trading a starting goalie for a fourth line center? If that. If they, uh, uh, how about a 
fringe NHL player. Yeah, like that's that. that's fair. I mean, you know, I think he got into like 40, 50 games, you know, at least one year. I forget. I looked at his stat line the other and night I when I was looking at it. like but... six goals. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. His <laughs> his line was 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 minimal. But, again, regardless of how, how close we are on that, I mean, again, starting goalie <laughs> for, for a guy who could barely crack a lineup. How about the fact that one you created a top-pairing defenseman, right? You downgraded your goaltender, and you traded a better goaltender and traded for a guy who probably shouldn't even been on your team. Yeah, I, I, I just – you end up speechless <laughs> thinking about this stuff, right? Because right? there's well, just – and his. Unless and unless and there's stuff going on behind the scenes you just don't know about, which might have been going on, but yeah, well, um, but. right. But you still, regardless, it doesn't matter. This is this is the resume that this guy has had had made for himself. Yeah. And yeah, well, it's about it's about to go even further in the toilet. Was when we get to the next one, and you're gonna you really. So he makes the solo trade, right? Okay, so that was on March 20th, which most likely was deadline day, if I'm not mistaken, or right before. And after trading your two two of your top young players and a third-round pick for Trevor Linden, he inexplicably trades Trevor Linden away to Montreal for a first-round pick, which by some stroke of luck, he got Montreal to give him a first-round pick in return, which turns out to be the 10th overall pick in the 1999 NHL draft, which they used on a big defenseman named Bronislav Meze. Right. Right. Who very amazingly had three first round picks that year. Four. 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 But three in the top 10. Right. And then they had uh, Chris and Kudrak was the fourth one. Which was number 28. And a member of his, uh, he dubbed them his, what was it, Oak Tree or Red Tree defenseman, something like that, right? Red Tree defenseman, which I think total of, played a total of like 25 games for the Islanders. <laughs> right. We'll, uh, we'll get to that. So, all right. So now we talked about the the, the, the Poppy trade, but we're just going to skip over that. We talked about the good trade he makes when he got rid of Potvin, uh, 11, almost 11, uh, just over 11 months after he acquired him from Berard. Right after Christmas, he trades him to uh, to Vancouver. He gets scattered by Carlton Weeks. Um, right after that, in the next May, he makes the Trevor the Trent Hunter trade, and you're like, "Wow, he's got two two deals in a row, and things are starting to look up." And then comes the darkest day in the history well, of this organization. I think you missed one. Did I? I think so. Because remember, we were talking about a guy named Robert Reichel. Remember that guy? You remember? You remember who he was traded for? You remember? You remember the deal that sent him away from the Islanders? Um, didn't they get? Uh, didn't they get Isbister for him? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Robert Reichel, a third and a fourth, on March twentieth, ninety nine, for Brad Isbister and a third. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> to Phoenix? They sent him to Phoenix yeah, for Isbister and a third. And, yeah, and two picks. That was, another, I was a, that was a salary dump at the time. Uh, yeah, I it guess was, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, I guess that makes yeah, sense. It was, it was, they, didn't want, they weren't going to sign him. And um, I think he ended up going to. Uh, he went. I think, he, Reichel only. I think he wanted to go back to Europe. He did end he up back played. in Europe for a little bit. And then he ultimately came back. He, he had a stint with, um, with Toronto. Actually, he ended up on the, on the Leafs when they played him in 2002. 
Did he really? I believe so. I, I'm, I'm going to look remember back. Him being on I, th- I think he was. I think I'm pretty certain he was. But I'm going to verify that before I uh, yeah step into I some more shit will, for this episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think that I think they were worried about Reichel going back to Europe, and that's why they they just wanted to get yeah he yeah he played he played seventy eight games for the Leafs in two thousand one two thousand two yeah yeah wow yeah he played okay. he was he was on the Leafs during the play I remember that in the first round yeah yeah there was so much going on in that series I probably just overlooked hey, it but. hey look at, at least I'm not the only one forgetting things tonight <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe that's okay. a little less uh, egregious but. <laughs> it's very less egregious. Much less, yes, it's much less. All right, egregious. so let's go. Let's fast forward to to, in my opinion, the worst day in the history of this organization because it was mm. a complete disaster. twenty fourth, two thousand. The yeah. New York Islanders. Talk about it, Tony. Who already have Kevin Weeks and Roberto Luongo as your goaltenders of the future, right. decided that, shit, that ain't good enough for me. <laughs> so we can do better. Just, we can do better than that. Just, let's just turn the entire NHL upside down. So the morning of the draft, when my Newsday showed up at my home, I opened it up and I read an article about how the New York Islanders, who had secured the number one pick, in the draft, decided that the two young goaltenders that they already had were not their future. So they decided <laughs> to trade both of them in the same morning and then use the number one pick to get another goaltender who was three years behind the other two goaltenders that they currently had in their system. Uh... So the Islanders make a trade. They traded Kevin Weeks a second-round pick, and Christian Kudrak, the rights to Christian Kudrak, because they hadn't even signed him yet. Correct. To the Tampa Bay Lightning for a first, a fourth, and a seventh-round pick that day. The first-round pick ended up being Rafi Torres. Yep. Okay. (laughs) All right. Let's just say that that was not the best trade that this guy has made in the last 24 hours. Okay. Then we find (laughs) out that goaltender of the future, Roberto Luongo and promising young forward, Ole Okunin have been traded to the Florida Panthers for what turns out to be a very solid Mark Parrish and a very unspectacular Oleg Garage. The mighty Oleg. The baby beret, as they called him. Baby beret. Ridiculous. After making those two trades, the Islanders then proceeded to draft Rick DiPietro first overall and then took Rob Torres with the fifth overall pick. Now, (laughs) knowing what we know now, which we did not know then, which I feel like I'm in a scene from Spaceballs saying something like that. <laughs> but DPS would have been available at number five because the GMs that were after, who chose after the first overall pick, all had said that they didn't have DPS on their top five. Right. But, 
Right. But you know, it's funny about that. I mean, that, and that's, that's true. And that's, that's, that's like exhibit a, right. Where Milbury could have done something better with this situation. But he, the 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 bottom line is he never even should have been looking at the availability of Rick DiPietro to begin with. Right, because you had just traded for Kevin Weeks a few months before. And what? you already had a phenomenal talent that just about everybody on the planet was in unison that Roberto Luongo was going to be an, a, a top five goaltender in the NHL. Without question. Without question. Right. I remember. I remember. I I just I <laughs> I'm I'm pretty I was at the draft party for that, if I remember correctly. If I, I would too. And, I was there too. And the I was re- talking to Jim Cerny when it happened. Right, you said that. That's right. That's right. I mm-hmm. the reaction was just ugly. <laughs> Fans we're not. It happy. was discussed. Fans were not no. happy. Nope. I mean, because we we were all in on Luongo. We had seen him play, you know, that season, and they had mishandled Luongo because Luongo should have won the job at a camp. And Butch Goring decided that he wanted to keep Wade Flaherty instead of Luongo at a training camp, like like 10 days in the training camp and he had made up his mind that Flaherty was going to be the backup and Luongo was not going to be there. Uh So instead of, and this is again, poor, piss poor, piss poor management, instead of, you know, being on the same page with your coaching staff and saying, okay, Luongo's going to be there. He's going to be, you know, your backup. He's going to ease him into the lineup. No, they have this big snafu and Luongo gets, ends up being farmed out. You know, goes back to juniors, and Flaherty is the goaltender, and it was just a disaster. It was a complete disaster, and then they end up trading. I don't understand. So, I don't. Well, we'll I mean, never understand. well, of course, we'll never understand. But the, like the madness of, of uh, a moron. But what? I mean, like you know, did they did they still have the draft combine back then? I'm sure they did, but either way, you're still scouting prospects. You're 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 getting to know them, and whatnot. The reason why I asked that question Pietro is like was it, was based upon the interview he had with Milbury. Well, that's what that's what I'm getting to. That's basically what I'm getting at. Is like what was what planted the seed in this guy's mind, where he actually said to himself, "You know what?" He's like Roberto Luongo, Kevin Weeks. Yeah, not bad, but this kid. This kid, DiPietro, I I am going to literally move heaven and earth to bring this kid to our franchise. We need him, and we need him to be the number one overall pick this year. He's going to be the first goal. You know what? Number four wasn't good enough. We need the number one overall first time ever goaltender taken at that spot. And I'm I am literally going to dramatically alter the course of this franchise just to get him because he's got a confident, cocky personality and he can play the puck, which, you know, ended up being kind of debatable. <laughs> you know, he was, he well, was he talked about as, no, he could. When he should play the puck. It, right. Well, that's my point. Right. That's my point. Like he was basically, 
you know, almost referred to as a as another Marty Brodeur or, or uh, Marty Turco as far as a guy who could play the puck, right? You know, yeah, back, those guys knew when to play the puck. The well, never they were disciplined. Out. Yes, yes, they they <laughs> right. They knew when to play the puck. But anyway, my my my, my friend just, Frank, let my me just Frank Esposito used to sit behind me at the Ibiana games, and he used to he used to get so heated. Right, he got so heated every time Di Pietro would leave his net. He would scream out, "I want to tie this guy to the net." <laughs> if you would tie him to the net, he would be one of the best goalies in the NHL. Right? Yeah. Look, I mean, you know, most of us know. We know how good he could have been. We know how good he probably should have been. Mm-hmm. But even if, even if he didn't have all the injuries, even if he wasn't such a, you know cocky SOB as far as because that was part of why he played the puck so much because he just you know he didn't give a shit right he just felt "Ah, Mm -hmm. you know I can play this puck you know he he was throwing caution in the wind he was irresponsible when it came to stuff like that right even if he had a a better head in his shoulders when it came to that even if he didn't end up with all those injuries would he still have even become a better goaltender than Roberto Luongo no I mean We'll never know for absolute certainty, but probably not. Probably not. So why on earth would you would you go through all of this trouble? What, because you have a hard-on for Ola Kavasha, who ends up being probably one of the biggest failures of Milbury's tenure? I mean, just as far as... You know, another, well, there's a few. There's a few there are many. There are many. But, but when, you, when you look at... The stock that he put into certain guys, right? And obviously, DiPietro and Cavasha are at the top of that list, you know. And just, I mean, I don't know how how old Milbury was at the time of this stuff going on. I know when he was hired, he was what in his mid thirties. He was still relatively young when he first took the job. But I mean, just the irresponsibility, the the like you said before, right? Being a fantasy hockey GM, you know, just throwing caution to the wind yeah. and, and and making these making these deals more on impulse than anything else. Right, and and then then any sort of you know deliberation, then any sort of just you know let me let me take a take a breather here, let me talk to my staff, <laughs> let's see let's see what the best course of action is. Because I mean, do you really think that the people that were working for him at the time were like, yeah, Mike, that's a good idea. Yeah, we should do that. We should do that, Mike. I hate to tell you, but I mean, I'm sure at some point or another he was working by himself because he couldn't right? afford to have a staff. Right. But besides the fact, besides that being the fact. And yeah, and we'll get into a little bit of that, you know, as we get on to these uh, to his draft years. But um, but you know, the, my 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 issue with all of this was that you you have a you have a sure everybody it was unanimous how Luongo was going to turn out. Okay, it was unanimous that he was going to be a fantastic NHL goaltender. And you basically said, nobody knows what I know. This Di Pietro kid is going to be fantastic. Now, is it the fact that he was a Boston kid and he had a cocky attitude and Milbury liked the fact that he basically felt that he could say, you know, that he, that Di Pietro was the kind of kid that you could tell him that, you know, he played like shit and he better get his act together. And then he'd be over, you know, he'd be walking into the room five minutes later being like, Hey, you want to go to dinner? You know, like that's, you know, that that's all well and good. But talent wise, you know, Rick Di Pietro, there was no indication that Di Pietro was going to be even as good 
as Luongo, right? Let alone a better goaltender. Right. Which is like if you if you if you're telling me that you have Luongo and then you have the next Patrick Waugh that's out there and that you want to upgrade at that point, that's one thing. But you can't tell me at with any degree of certainty and, but, that you thought you were going to get you were getting the better goaltender in Di Pietro than you were in and, Luongo. And even and then, then, though, you could make a strong argument against it. Even if Di Pietro was the next Patrick Waugh, you could still yeah. make an argument a, argument against course, going through all that bullshit to, to shift all those players around and ultimately give up so much for what ended up being so little on the other end of the coin. You know, agreed. Agreed, because you gave away Weeks, you gave away um, Jokinen, you gave away Luongo. You, I mean, these were all these were all high draft picks. These were all guys who had proven at the NHL that they could play at a high level, and you traded them all for wild cards. You didn't de- you, when you trade, you know, good young, controllable talent for a player who has not played a minute in the NHL. It's hard to to you know to, to quantify that. You know, Parrish had had some some decent years in Florida before he was came, came over to the Islanders. Yeah. Kavasha was you know had the same thing was was a guy who looked at he had a, a tremendous upside. You know, but Luongo and Jokinen, you know, Jokinen wasn't at that wasn't at that point. Maybe so if you say that you know Jokinen and Kavasha were were equal at that point, which you know, all right, you could do that. But Luongo was a hell of a better player than than Mark Parrish. Was. Imagine being imagine being those guys and having to live up to that trade, right? Imagine being Mark yeah. Parrish and being like, "What? I was just I, I was, was just, just traded, traded for, for these guys." Roberto Luongo. Yeah, yeah. And again, Jokinen had come off a twenty point season with the Islanders in seventy something games, you know. But he was a first round pick for a reason. Right. And he went on to to have what you know eight hundred NHL points or whatever it was. He I mean, he had a nice know, he had a career. Seventeen year, yeah. his seventeen year career for God's sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh yeah, that is uh, that that in my opinion. So you draft DPSR, you draft Torres, you end up trading Torres like two years later. Um, brutal, absolutely brutal day. Um, I, I, I just, I, I can't, I got a headache talking about it, to be honest with you. I just, no, there, there, so, there's nothing, there's nothing good to be said about it. No. I mean, All right. So now, again, so, even, even that other trade we mentioned on the good list doesn't, uh, doesn't wash any of this away. It does not. No, no. Yeah. All right. So now basically a year to the day later, um, they decide that they're going to try to advance the cause. So on June 22nd, the night before this trade is made, they acquire a coin. We talked about how great of a deal that was. Yeah. On June 24th, the day. Tony. Tony. Um, which oh, was, there you, are. you know, two, two very good trades over that weekend. Mm-hmm. And then we get to June 23rd. Yeah. And Mike Milbury was just itching to make a move <laughs> as the draft. So there was a couple of names that were being banded about um, on this day. It was Alexi Yashin, I believe another name that could come up in this uh, on uh, on this was um, 
Uh, who was the other guy that they wasn't, were looking uh, at? Wasn't Jason Allison a guy they were looking at at one point? Jason Allison was the other guy. I knew he was a Boston guy. So it was Jason Allison and it was Alexi Yashin. And someone convinced Milbury that Yashin was the guy. Now, originally Milbury wanted Jason Allison, but he had had some injury issues. And they worried a little bit about his skating after some of the injuries. Mm-hmm. So they ended up making the move for Alexi Ash. Uh, Milbury wanted no part of Jason Spencer. Why? He said, all, he said it all along that if they got the first overall pick, if they had won the lottery, which they didn't, they, you know, they, they had the, the best odds to win that they lost. Right. So the guy he wanted was Ilya Kovalchuk. And then if he couldn't be against Kovalchuk, he was going to trade the pick. And that's what he did. He traded. <laughs> he was a pick. man of his word. <laughs> a man of a word. So he traded the pick, Bill McCall, and some young, big, tall defenseman <laughs> named Zdeno Chara uh... to the Ottawa Senators for one holdout Alexi Yashin. Yeah. Now, Yashin, who the year before he held out because he didn't like his contract with Ottawa, the year before he held out, had been a finalist for the league MVP. There is no denying the fact that Alexei Yashin was an extremely talented offensive player in the NHL. He was one of the top but centers was, back then. He was. He was. He was big. He was, he was talented. He was... Good looking. He had all the things. <laughs> he was good looking. Want. Okay. Oh yeah. It had. It was. <laughs> Didn't think that whole... was going to come up as as a part of the positives. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to paint the picture here, pal. Just, oh, go, just, go just, on. Just go with the flow. Just all right. Go with the flow. Are you going to mention his hot wife too? <laughs> got a model. Got a model, girlfriend, girlfriend, wife, whatever. Like, oh, Carol Alt, man. Let me tell you, in her day, my own man. Holy cow. Anyway, <laughs> so all these things, and the Islanders get. Alexi Yashin. They give up a future Hall of Famer in Zidane Chara. They give up a guy who ended up is, is to this day has 920 NHL points in 1,100 games in Jason Spezza. And they they get Alexi Yashin. And not only do they get Alexi Yashin, but then they offer him a 10-year $87.5 million contract which they end up buying out just five years later because <laughs> Who saw he's that not coming? the player that they expected him to be. So instead of the Islanders, if, now look, if you look at it this way, if they had made that pick and kept Chara and, and, and picked Spezza, right, they would have had a coin, Chara, Spezza, and Michael Pekka that weekend. And just think about what it, that 2001 team would have looked at with those guys on it. Oh, buddy. As opposed to. I, I have some things to say about that in, in a few minutes. And we're going to get there. But I'm going to add to that what if question that you just mentioned. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. But I, uh, some, some notes on this trade. Uh, personal, personally. Now, there is okay. without a doubt, looking back on Mike Milbury's tenure, that this is one of the worst trades that he ever made. And some will Great. definitely argue that it was the worst. But I will say this. At the time, when I looked at what they did getting a coin, when I looked at what they did getting Pekka, 
what ended up happening with, I mean, this was later. I think this was just before the season started, but getting Chris Osgood in net. And then they go out and they acquire Alexi Yashin for the, the pieces that you just discussed. Now, back then, I did not know Zajana Charo was going to become the household name he ended up becoming today. I don't know if you did at that time. I don't know if other Islander fans did at that time. But I did not. I just knew he was a tall third-round pick defenseman. And I back then, I didn't even know if he was going to be a long-term NHLer. Now, maybe that's just me being, you know, not well-educated on, on Jarrah back then, or maybe not everybody knew that was going to happen. Either way, I was, I will admit this, I was excited about this deal when it happened at the time. I looked at the sum of all the parts, and I was like, wow. I was like, Milbury's actually turning shit around here. I was like, this is going to be a very exciting team to watch. And they ended up being a very exciting team to watch. They gave fans a lot to cheer for for the first time in a very long time. So back then, I looked at that weekend as a success. Now, don't get me wrong. Losing out on drafting Spezza, even then I knew was a tough pill to swallow. But I guess the way I looked at it then was... You know, this is, this is, you know, they're finally going for it. They're finally going to be a competitive team. They're finally going to, you know, give Islander fans something to cheer for. And, and who knows how far this team could go. I was excited about it at the time. But without a doubt, looking back now after everything that happened and, and understanding <laughs> exact, the value of what Milbury ultimately ended up giving up in that trade for what Alexi Ashen as a New York Islander ultimately, ultimately ended up becoming... And the deal that went, the the contract that went along with it. Obviously, this ends up being one of the biggest blunders of of, of his tenure. Um, but I, I will say, mm-hmm. pal, I was I was excited about it. I I was not upset about that trade when it happened at the time. And as far as the contract goes, that I also give. You know, much like the the Palfi trade, I give Milbury a bit of a mulligan here on that ten year deal because I believe you and I discussed this already. It might have even in, even been last week. But uh, I believe, as far as we know, Milbury wanted no part of that 10-year contract. And Wong actually wanted a 15-year contract, I believe. It was it was Milbury who convinced him to make it 10, if memory serves. And he only did it because he, he was basically made by his boss. Another situation where boss man was like, look, this is what I want you to do. Okay, boss, I'll do it. All right, Alexi, 10 years. So while it happened under Milbury's watch, and it was a, it was a terrible contract when it was signed... Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give Milbury the, the full, you know, digging for this because, you know, it really was out of his hands as far as I know. But, mm. but again, contract aside, you know, just looking at the deal, obviously it was, it was awful, but you know, I loved that team. I loved that 2001, 2002 team. The problem was it ended up being so short lived. They end up making the playoffs two more wow. years after that. And you, I know we're going to get into it, all the decisions that were made throughout those years and, and what could have been and blah, blah, blah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But, but you know, I, I, was, I was happy to be an Islander fan in that very short period of time until we saw what this all meant for the, for the future of the franchise after it all fizzled out, you know? Yeah, of course. But the thing, the problem, I, I, was I excited the fact that they were acquiring players instead of trading them away, like we talked about the five trades before this one? Yes, absolutely. I was I was excited about the fact that the team was spending money and that they were you know, looking to make deals that were going to make the team better in the short term. Uh, I was not happy about trading Spets. I, you know, he was touted as 
you know, a, a next level offensive player, which yeah, turned yeah. out to be an extremely good offensive player during his career. Without a doubt. Uh, and, and Sarah had shown glimpses of what he ends up being, what, when did he end up becoming? He was a kid that was raw. He was a kid that was, um, you know, still learning the game. But when he figured it all out, which we kind of were hoping he was going to do, he mm-hmm. turned out to be the defenseman that we all saw. And he started that, that season that he ended up in Ottawa. So um, I was not happy with the fact that Charles was in the deal. I really liked him as a player. Um, and I was not happy about the fact that they were not getting Spezza. I thought that, you know, I was very excited at the, uh, the, the, op- the, the possibility of getting him. Um, but, you know, yes, I was excited about the fact that they were out there acquiring players instead of trading them away. Um, so, yeah, I'm, you know, that was, that's a tough pill to swallow because you actually <laughs> turn out so miserably and Betsa yeah. and Shara turned out to be such good players that, you know, it's another player where you're looking at, you know, down the line you know, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's such a pattern here. Like you see all of these deals and you see every one of them. It's like, okay, a guy just made a bad deal. You know, like if you could look at a good general manager and say, Oh, I made a bad deal here, a bad deal there, whatever. This is every freaking deal is a bad deal. And then you look at some of the, you know, then a the couple of ones where, you know, sun shines on a dog's ass every once in a while. Well, that's, those were the ones that Jason Blake moves, the Trent Hunter moves. But, right. You know, right. most of the deals are like this where you're like, God damn it, how did yeah. he do it again? You know, how many, many, many all stars did he have to trade away? And he even created a persona for himself. He called himself Mad Mike. Mad Mike. And he did that after he made the Luongo trade. Of course, because how do you look at that any other way? How do you look at yeah. that weekend well, and not say to yourself, this man is insane? Yeah. There's no, yeah. there's no rational justification for what he did that weekend. None. No, there, there is. There, you, there you is can make, nothing. you can, you can justify the Yashin deal, even if you end up wrong at the end of the discussion. You can at least say, look, they were win now. They didn't want to wait for Spezza to develop. They weren't sure what Shara was going to be. As wrong as that turned out, it's fine. Okay, I get it. You got Pekka. You got a coin. You're building for now. You're building, you know, to make a competitive team now. You got the new owner that came in. He wants to make a splash. Fine. I get all that, but. You, there is no, there is no explaining the 2000 draft weekend whatsoever. Bro, I've been trying to, I've been trying to get it straight in my mind for 20 years. I still haven't been able to do it because, and believe me, this is a topic there, that I continually go back to. <laughs> there, there is no explaining that. None. I mean, I would love to know what kind of hallucinogenics Milbury was on that weekend because that's the only thing that could explain it. I mean, just okay. So, what? <laughs> so, but. But well, well uh, so and and not not to beat a dead horse. So you know we obviously covered this a lot here. But 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 if you 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 see these head scratching moves as as we as we were talking about he and you talked about it before you mentioned that the good fortune of having Chris Osgood basically drop into his lap. <laughs> yes. And and even though it was a no brainer kind of a move, right? He had signed Garth snow in the off season to be the number one goaltender, right? And to mentor Rick DiPietro, right? That season. That's right. And snow was initially supposed was, to be the number one. That's right. That's right. And Osgood becomes available through the waiver draft. The Islanders, after having the poor season they had had the year before, get the first pick in the waiver draft and they select Chris Osgood. 
So now Milbury has to explain to Garth Snow that you are now no longer going to be the number one goaltender. You're going to be the backup. DiPietro gets farmed out to Bridgeport. And Chris which, Osgood which in fairness, now, in fairness, I mean, that's exactly what Milbury should have done. Pick Osgood yeah, and make, yeah. But the, I guarantee yeah. you it was not his first choice. I guarantee you it was not his first choice. Well, who knows? I, I would think that maybe Milbury signed Snow with the intention because he had to, he had to get a goalie, right? And he went and did it, and he got Snow. Okay, this guy's going to be the first, you know, us the starting goalie. And you know, if Osgood becomes available, because you had the whole Hashik thing going on in Detroit, I, th- I believe there was some talk and speculation that Osgood was going to be on his way out, right? I mean, they pretty much had to do it. So I'm sure Milbury had in the back of his mind that hey. If things really go my way here and, you know, he gets exposed in the waiver draft, I'm taking him. I mean, there's no way he wasn't yeah, thinking but about I mean, that. Snow was signed, two, you know, two months before that. I think that, you know, yeah. <laughs> Osgood could have been available. Excuse my cough, by the way. Osgood could have been available, <laughs> but I think he was more available via trade. They just couldn't figure out a way to, to, to move him. Mm-hmm. And I would think that, you know, they just he, got, he was part of the waiver draft. And that's where the Islanders were able to pick him up. Yeah. So they get they get Osgood. They get the good fortune of being able to get him. He has that unbelievable first season, right? He was wearing his remember he's wearing the red pads for like the first like ten games or something like that. It was longer than that, and the league gave him shit for it. Yes, because but he said they were winning games and he wasn't not going to wear the pads, so he was continually wearing them and so on and so forth. So they, you know, he had such a nice run, and then not even two years later. At the deadline, you know, you have Pietro yeah. that's going to come up. Yeah, so we talked about this last week. To, to, instead of deciding to pair Osgood with Pietro, you say, okay, well, we'll just keep Snowy as the backup and make Rick the number one, and they trade Chris Osgood away at the deadline, and they trade him to the St. Louis Blues with a third-round pick <laughs> for Justin Papineau, and a second round pick, which ended up becoming ended up Jeremy Colleton. Jeremy Colleton. Yeah. Papineau had a very uninspiring run <laughs> as a New Islander. <laughs> yeah, that's one league. way to put it. <laughs> yes. Oh, Papineau God. Ended up doing jack shit in his time. <laughs> that's probably a better way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, whereas Chris Osgood went back to Detroit after leading St. Louis to the playoffs that year and ended up winning a Stanley Cup. Sure did. He sure with did. The, with the Red Wings. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Another one of the just maddeningly stupid moves yeah. that we've been talking about now for about an hour. <laughs> uh, the last, the last of the stupid trades that I have. Oh, that was my last one. What do you got? I got one. I got one more, and it's actually coupled with a with a decent trade. But when in, on August third, two thousand and five, uh, he trades Michael Pekka to the Edmonton Oilers. Oh yeah, for Mike York. Now Mike York had a. 108-game stretch with the Islanders where he had 19 goals, 65 points, and at the ripe old age of 32 was now gone from the NHL. Whereas Pekka, 
went to Edmonton and ended up going to a Stanley Cup final yep. with Ryan Smith and Chris, Chris Pronger. Pronger. Yep. And that whole team up there, which turned out to be, uh, uh, you know, a, a magical run. And uh, if it wasn't for, who was it that landed on Dwayne Rollison's knee and, and forced him out of the lineup? Was that Mark, Aber- Mark Andre Bergeron that happened to? You know, now that you mention it, it might have been him. I think it was Bergeron. I think you may be right. Dwayne Rollison. And, Dr- and Rollison was playing out of his mind. Yes, he was. During that, fi- during that, that finals run. He was, yeah. And he was just not the same goalie after that happened. So... Um, so that was uh, that was my last word. And then on the same day, he traded a second round pick to Vancouver for Brent Sopel, who turned out to be a pleasant surprise for the Islanders. Yeah, he was solid. So um, he uh, ended up going to the Blackhawks a couple of years after that. So, right. Right. Uh, Trade wise, that is all I got. <laughs> um, I yeah. think that's plenty. The Packer one was bad. The Packer one for York was bad. I left it off the list, but but there's no question that was uh, that did not work out in their favor either. As far as getting York for for Pekka, good God! But yeah, and then we we covered already. But I lifted listed obviously drafting Rick DiPietro was one of the all time worst moves he ever made, and firing Peter yeah, Laviolette. Well, <laughs> you, well, you said it earlier. Now, now that's, that's <laughs> the next thing I wanted to discuss here, and that's his coaching decisions. Now, well, real, 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 real quick, real quick, before you oh, get sorry, into that, yeah. just to just to yeah. cap off this worst trade, th- is that uh, as I was doing my research, I discovered that uh, actually an old friend of of Hockey Night New York, a guy we had in the show way back when, you remember, Mister Brian Ernie, used to write for oh, yes. SNY. Yes. So he had a piece. Back on May 12th of 2016, this is obviously well past Millbury's GMing days, but he ended up getting questioned. I believe this was on one of the... Oh, you know what it was? It was on Jerry Jeremy Roenick's Roenick Life podcast. He had Millbury on as a guest, and he had... You know, this doesn't surprise me. If anybody's going to ask Mike Millbury one of these questions, is a guy like Jeremy Roenick, but he asked him about his, you know, his trades and his worst trade. He asked him what his worst trade was. And what trade do you think Milk Mike Milbury felt was his worst trade in history? I, well, the one I had always heard him say was his worst trade was this Kasparitis for uh, for uh, Smolenski. But what, what well, did he say? that's interesting because that is not the one he mentioned. He said, and I quote, the worst trade was for Yashin because it was done knowing we had to get better in a hurry or else otherwise we were all going to be out of work. I knew he could play, but I knew he was fatally flawed, and if we were going to win a championship, this wasn't the way to go. I think the average budget was about $25 million at the time, and we were creating a budget for the Milstein-Gluckstern group. Um, <clears throat> one of them walked in and said, I want you to create a budget for $15 million, one for $10 million, and one for $5 million, he said. And... He, I said, I've, you've got to be kidding. He said, for $5 million, we can pay everyone the minimum salary, and even without selling a ticket, because of our revenue, we'll make money. I never produced that budget. Now, obviously, that was that was under Wang's tenure when he made the trade for Yashin, but I guess that was just yeah. another quote to give to shed some light on, I guess, some of the restrictions that he had. But just to go back, he says the Yashin trade was the worst trade he made because he ultimately dealt for a guy he knew couldn't win him a championship. So what, what, what do you have to say about that? He's a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I 
he's admitting that he traded a future Hall of Famer and a number two overall pick for a player he knew was flawed. That's what he said. So that just goes to show you what kind of an asshole he really is. I mean, he. I don't envy. I don't envy the owner, the position he was in with the ownership groups he had. But you know, I mean, he's kind of he's kind of saying it's Wong Wong's fault for for the Austin trade. That's pretty much what he told Jeremy Roenick. If, you, if you're yeah. trying to read between the lines here, who knows yeah, well, how much it's, of that's it's really really easy to trade to, to blame somebody else for the trade that's got your name on it. So yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, in any case, I just but, wanted to add that nugget before you moved on to this coaching. Uh, well, that's okay because I got plenty of other evidence here to show what a, what an idiot he was. So let's um, <laughs> go on, Tony. Go, go on over, your rampage. Let, let's just go over some of his coaching hires. Sure. So um, during the course of the, the 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 ten years that he was in charge of the organization, which was 1996 to 2006, Milbury hired and fired seven coaches, including himself. <laughs> right. During this time. He had Rick Bonus replace himself. Then Bill Stewart replaced Bonus. Then Milbury replaced Goring, if I'm not mistaken, because he had hired Butch Goring. Then he had Peter Laviolette. Then he had Steve Sterling. Then he had Brad Shaw replace Steve Sterling. And then once right. um, Neil Smith was hired, that was when Ted Nolan took over and Milbury was no longer in charge of personnel. Decisions. Correct. Correct. During the course of the 96 or 2006 seasons and all of those coaches, which I explained to you, um, the Islanders had 297 wins. That is in the course of 10 years. That is appalling. That is disgusting. The, the Islanders under Barry Trotz, in the last year and 63 games, won 83 games in just under two seasons under Barry Trotz. Yeah. Yeah. Quite the contrast. Yeah. Yeah. You think? (laughs) Just a bit. Just a bit. And, uh, And I'll just add that Milbury has the second worst uh, winning percentage of any coach. He coached 191 games. He only had 56 wins. Right. And just a minor correction. Milbury mm-hmm. did not take over for Butch Goring. Lorne Henning took over. Oh, that's right. For he Butch Goring. Have, and, uh, he, had, he let Lorne Henning finish out. He coached year. 17 games to finish out the year, and then he, fought, he um, hired Laviolette the next year. Yeah. I thought that he must have, he must have, uh, Milbury must have taken over because he took, he, he was the Milbury, Milbury sandwich bonus in between himself. So Milbury coached from 95 to 97, then mm-hmm. bonus coached 97 to 98, but not just that one season. Bonus coached 100 games. So he must have gotten, you know, 18 games or whatever it was into the next Year season. And, a half. and right. Milbury coached 66 games in the 98 99 season. Then, then he Bill had Stewart. Bill Stewart take over for him for 35 games. Then Butch Goring was hired. And then Lorne Henning took over for him. And then LaViolette came in after that. Right. LaViolette had the best of the bunch. 77 wins for LaViolette. Right. 
Right. So that was that was his coaching hires, which of his coaches that he had, he hired only Laviolette. And now Rick Bonus, who is a longtime assistant, now had a uh, he took over for Jim Montgomery in Dallas right. after uh, Montgomery uh, had to uh, resign, step away, or yes. was fired, yeah. yeah, or whatever the case was. So, right. but Bonus took over there. But of that group of all of those coaches. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Bill Stewart almost arrested for trying to smuggle a player in, yes. uh, in, a, in, a, in a in a in a bus or something? Yes, or something? this oh, was this was years later. This was years later after his short stint with the Islanders. Yeah, he uh, he got he got himself involved in some kind of mess. Needless to say, that was the only um, <laughs> NHL head coaching he did. His 35 games, he went 10, 18, and yeah, seven. Did he get himself? Didn't he get himself fired? Didn't he get himself not brought back because he was complaining about uh, the fact that the Islanders didn't have enough talent? On oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. No, he was interviewed. It was either late in the season or at the end of the season or something like that. And he was basically asked, like, you know, why, you know, why aren't you guys more successful? I mean, I'm obviously paraphrasing here, but they were like, you know, why, why is it, how, why has it been so tough to win or whatever the case may be? And he's like, and he said have you, like, did you, have you seen, yeah, the have roster? you seen our roster? Have you seen our team? Yeah, the the staff did not and was ownership and staff didn't begging, take too kindly of that. Yeah, and I think it was Peter Body he said it to, and I believe he went and tried to find him at the pool of the hotel they were staying at and beg him not to put not to print the uh, that quote because he was afraid he was going to get fired. Ah, see, I didn't know that portion of the story, but I yeah. do remember the quote. I do remember the quote. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I remember it very well, very vividly. So, huh. so those are the coaching. So now, the last thing I want to get into is his drafting. Ah, uh, yes, okay? which the drafting, which is just, which is just like if if you if you needed any more information, uh, this is this is just what you you need to need to see. So his first draft, ninety six, he drafts JT JP Dumont in the first round, drafts Char in the third round. That would be generally considered a pretty good draft. Pretty good draft, so considering that he trades Dumont to Chicago. For Nabokov, Nabokov never played, plays 30 games, disappears to Europe. Chara, he trades for Yashin. He ends up turning into one of the best defensemen in the NHL, and it's a surefire Hall of Famer. 97, he makes back-to-back picks. He chooses Luongo fourth, Eric Brewer fifth. Solid Luongo, again. He trades in the infamous trade. Um, he trades Luongo in, in, the, in the Panther trade. He gets Kavasha and Paris. He trades Brewer. In uh, in one of his better trades to get Roman Hamilik, neither of them end up playing as uh, neither of them end up being anything uh, within the Islanders organization, and uh, go on to have solid and Luongo a spectacular NHL career. Ninety eight chases Mike Rupp with the ninth overall pick. As the two of us have discussed, that was not a particularly good year for drafting. Right. right. Uh, but he did end up passing on a guy. Alex Tangay, who played with Colorado and a few other places in his NHL career, uh, ends up with, uh, I think he ended up with like, um, he was taking 12th overall. Tangay had like six. It might have been lower, NHL. but either way, outside of Tangay, there really weren't any other guys in the first round after Rupp was selected that were right. really or, worth much of anything. So, I, you know, even right. though Rupp as a first round pick didn't really end up with first round pedigree in his game for his career, even though it was a long one. I mean, again, other than Tangay, there really wasn't anybody else in that draft that, yeah, it was, that he missed out on. It, right. The only reason I mentioned it because Rupp was at nine and, and Tangay was 12. So it was just they were, they were literally like right there. So um, in 99, he had four first round picks. 
He chose Connolly, Pyatt, Meze, and Kudrak. Kudrak never played a game. Meze was traded um, shortly thereafter. Uh, he played a couple of seasons with the Islanders and then was traded to the Florida Panthers. Connolly and Pyatt, as we know, was traded for Michael Pekka. So that ends up being a semi-positive year for the Islanders in, in 99. 2000, we spoke about ad nauseum with uh, DiPietro and Torres. We already know all about that, so we don't have to go into that. Uh, I'll mention two other guys in that 98 draft that maybe you could have made an argument for in the first round. Okay. Simone Gagne, that went to Florida. Yes. Uh, sorry, Philly at 22. And Scott Gomez going to the Devils at 27. 27. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's a couple of Lou picks that were taken around the same time as Milbury. You could see the difference in drafting, that's <laughs> yeah. for sure. <laughs> But uh, so then we get to 2002, which was you know coming off the first season where the Islanders had made the playoffs. Uh, instead of taking Alex Steen, who was taken at 24 and ended up playing a thousand NHL games with 622 points, uh, Milbury took Sean Bergenheim, who ended up yeah. playing 506 NHL games, having only 180 points. Was a guy who had some. Uh, he was a, he was a decent hockey player. He was fast. He played his ass off. But again, a first round pick kind of burned. You know, right? 180 points in 506 games. You should be getting more uh, production out of a 22nd overall pick uh, in a draft, especially when you had a guy like Steen who was taken just two picks later. And that was a guy really that I had an eye on. Steen had his father had played in the NHL. Was had a, had a solid career. Um, that was uh, during that draft. I was saying if they had an opportunity to draft Steen, that would be a good thing. And they didn't. And they, uh, <laughs> no, they didn't. Bergenheim. Yeah. Then we get to the 2003 draft. Oh, here it is. This is, this is the this crown is the jewel. Fucking worst <laughs> draft I can find. And I, and there's some bad ones. Believe me, the next two after this are pretty goddamn bad, but this one is really bad. So in the first round, we all know the the the, the lunacy of taking taking Robert Nilsson. I should have cut a clip of Pierre Maguire, his reaction. I should have cut oh, a clip I would, of that. I would. I really would have loved it. Uh, missed opportunity. Oh, well. Day, who, who practically was ha- was hanging a sign around his neck in the in the in the crowd of the draft, saying, "Please draft me, Mike Milbury." Decided, nah, fuck that. We'll take Robert Nilsson instead. <laughs> And Parise, as we all know, was taken by Lou Lamarillo a few picks later. Yeah. He traded up to get him and has had a extremely good NHL career to this point that he almost became an Islander a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, in the second round, uh, <laughs> the, the Islanders had uh, uh, three second round picks. Uh, they missed on all three of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dmitry Chernik was taken with the Islanders' first second-round pick. Um, the pick right after Chernik was a guy you may have heard of him, Sean. I, I don't know if you remember Who's that this guy. Uh, he plays in the NHL. His name is Shea Weber. Oh God! You ever heard of him before? I. You know what? His name has has I have seen his name before. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, he was taking <laughs> the pick after Dmitry Chernik, who played zero NHL games. It's not a lot. Might I? Add. Yeah. Yeah. So then the Islanders had picks at 53 and 58. They took Evgeny Tunic and Jeremy Colleton with those two picks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 53 and 57, I think those two picks were. 58. 53 uh, and 58. 53 and 58. My yeah, mistake. Thank that's you. okay. So 53 and 58. 
So uh, they took those two guys. Tunic played no games in the NHL. Colleton played 57 games in the NHL and is now the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, two guys that were taken immediately after those two picks, uh, a guy named David Backus, who was taken at 62, and another guy named Jimmy Howard, who was taken at 64. Yeah, yeah. See that as a man. <laughs> In the fourth round, the Islanders took a, 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 a prospect named Stefan Blaho. Right. You remember Stefan Blaho by any chance? I remember the name, funny enough. but yeah, uh, I because he was killed in a car accident two years after the Islanders drafted him. Oh, God. I don't remember that. Yeah. Yes. You make it Stephon sound like that's Blaho. Milbury's fault. No, I'm just saying. All right. Just, uh, just, Satan, just, just okay. Just one for the record. So I wanted to make sure that's not what you were saying. Good God. Accident, two years, twenty-one years old. Um, never played for the for the Islanders. Um, wow. By some stroke of luck, he chose Bruno Gervais in the sixth round, who ended up having a couple hundred games with the Islanders and then uh, you know a decent career. Yeah, uh, sure. After the fact, and then in the seventh round, he took a player named Dennis Rehack, who played. Zero games. Zero games. Yep. Zero games. Um, just jumping into 2004, Petri Nokalainen was the first round pick of the Islanders that year, taking 16th overall. Yeah. Uh, Lou Lamarillo had the 20th overall pick and took oh, Travis God. Zajac. Yeah, got shown up um, again by Lou. Yep. Yeah. So second round, Blake Como, who has had a nice 852-game career so far in the NHL, yeah. was taken in the second round. Uh, after that, um, not much to show for the Oak Four draft. Sergei Ogrodnikov was taken in the third round, zero NHL games. Fourth round, Wes O'Neill, five. Steve Rieger in the fifth, he played 26 NHL games. Sixth round was Yaroslav Mrazek, zero games. <laughs> Seventh was Emil Axelson, zero games. Chris Campoli came in the seventh round that year, 440 NHL yeah. games. Yeah, he was a decent Their find. The ninth round picks were Jason Pitton and Sylvain Michaud, zero games for each. So of the 12 picks that the Islanders made, oh, I'm sorry, nine, nine picks yeah. in that draft, zero, uh, uh, nine picks had zero games of NHL experience. And of the last of the O three and the O four drafts together, twelve of the seventeen picks made played less than eighty two NHL games. Um You're talking about O three and O four or four and five, I'm sorry. O three and O four. O three and O five is even worse, my friend. O five is even worse. O five was the last draft that Melbury was in charge of. Correct. He took Ryan O'Mara in the first round. O'Mara played 33 NHL games, zero for the Islanders. He was traded for Ryan Smith. He sure was. In the second round, it took Dustin Cohn, who had a very nice Bridgeport career and only played 22 NHL games. The Islanders then, in the third round, took Shea Guthrie. In the fifth round, took Masi Marjamaki. Who got in a game somewhere. I don't think it was with the Islanders, but he got in one NHL game. Zero NHL games of experience. One. He had one. According to HockeyDB.com, Mazzy Marjamaki oh, played one I, NHL game. I stand corrected. I, <laughs> I'm, t- I'm trying to find I out who, he, who he played that game for, but it wasn't for the Please Islanders. Please do. No, it was the I Islanders. 05-06. One game played. Wow. 
No goals, no assists, no points, no penalty minutes, even zero plus minus. But according to according to this site, step on the ice. Well, I mean, it, look, it's 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 has him registered for a game played. Okay. <laughs> Sixth round, Tyrell Mason. Seventh round, Nick Tuzolino. And seventh round, Luciano Aquino. All the third, six, two sevenths at zero games of NHL experience. Marjamaki had one game, as I've just been staying corrected. <laughs> so his seven picks in this draft had a total of 56 games of NHL experience. Nice. The average NHL career from the entire 2005 draft had 299 games of experience. Wow. 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 That's wild. If you average out 55 games by seven guys, that's less. That's what, what is that? Eight games each. The average player had 299 game careers. Not in all rounds. The average player from all of the all the picks, two hundred ninety nine games. In the so they had so the, some guys had a thousand, some guys had zero. So if you average out the average player for that draft, it was two hundred ninety nine games. That's crazy because I feel like there would be so many guys with zero games played that it would. There are there are plenty yeah. of guys, with and even games, with but that, you also have guys who played eight hundred and a thousand. Yeah, games. wow. Wow! So you average it out, it comes out to <laughs> That is a devastating number <laughs> to look at. Yeah. Well, for his last draft, he really went out with a bang. <laughs> really went out with a bang. Oh right. my god! Oh so my that god. was the was the icing on the cake. So you had his last three drafts, which turned up. Let's see, uh, one, two. Two NHL regulars in three years. Nielsen played 252 games. That's not considered an NHL regular. No. Noka Lyon, 245. That's not an NHL regular. Yeah. You had um, uh, oh, Gervais. Okay, three. Sorry, you had Gervais. So you had Gervais, Campoli, and Como. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, not not good. Uh, again, his... Nope. It's his three years. It's his three his, years. His drafting started out all right. Again, again, just looking at the guys he picked in the first few years, first handful of years, he did all right, and then it just mm-hmm. went into a total tailspin. Awful. But and, bro, and, and and let me tell you something, okay? I I look, I have never, I have never worked for an NHL franchise. I am not a scout. I am not a a a a hockey lifer, other than the fact that I have been a fan of this game and I have followed it, and I have you know just. You know, have my, my little show here that we do every week, and I've had the privilege of being, you know, able to, you know, sit in the press box for a few years and learn and, and be around some great people and, and so on and so forth. But I could tell you right now, I could buy the ISS draft kit every year and have a better draft than the last three years <laughs> of this fucking guy's career. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, it's just a lot of things you can't explain. Why he made some decisions that he made, you know, whether it was in trades or whether it was in drafting, you know, the advice that he was taking and, you know, the advice that he probably ignored also, you know. I mean, he, he went with his gut a lot. He went with his ego a lot. 
You know, I mean, what what yeah. else? What else was that DiPietro draft weekend other than ego? That weekend was all, oh, was all, was ego. all ego, all ego, nothing else. He he had he had the foundation for a team in front of him, and and he he somehow managed to to botch that up. But I think as far as the draft goes, I mean, easily the lowlights is the DiPietro fiasco that draft weekend, and then I would guess second place would be you know p- passing on Parise for Robert Nielsen. You know, Look, Parise for Robert Nielsen thing was that, it, that bro? That was a fucking gift. I mean, if you think about it, it was a gift. I mean, Parise had basically begged him to, to draft him. He wanted to play where his father was. You know, his father had had scored, uh, you know, a big goal on the history. And it was it was just it was such a a no brainer move. And it was almost like everybody had had pegged him to make the move. And he was like, you know what? I'm not going to do what everybody wants me to do. I'm going to do what I think I want to do. And I think that this kid Nielsen is going to be the better player. Well, guess what, pal? Like you were like like most decisions that you made throughout your career, you were dead wrong. Yeah, and you know we 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 forgot to to note at the end of the the worst trades. What what did you overall consider the worst trade that Milbury has ever made? Out of all those awful My, trades, the worst trade that he ever made. Yeah. Um. Which was the worst? Uh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> there's a there's there's a lot in the running. There's some very strong nominees. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say there's two trades that I think are the absolute gotta pick worst, one. You gotta you pick one. It's but it's but they're they they they're tied only because of this one reason. It's because one it showed that he did that he he had no idea what he was doing, and two he was completely tone deaf to the organization, the fans, and what, what, what a guy meant to an organization. And the Kasparitis for a Smolensky trade was just so far. Wow. You know, was he just, it was such a bad move at the time. It, it sent a bad notion to the fans. You know, you had already traded, you know, Clark Schneider, um, you know, the Mueller thing hadn't worked out. You trade Steve Thomas for Wendell Clark and then you package Clark away just, you know, a few months later. You know, like there was just so many different things. And then to make that move, you know, to trade such a fan favorite, it, it was just it was such a it, it was just it was it was completely out of left field on top of it. So the Casparitis thing mm. and then, you know, and the Luongo thing is just <laughs> you know, there was no reason for it. There was no reason to completely upend your entire organization when you could have just taken the easy road here. You know, you had two picks in the first five. So you could have taken Heatley and then waited to see if DiPietro was later. But he had this whole idea that DiPietro had to be the number one. And Luongo couldn't be here and he had to get him out of town. And, you know, and weeks had to go to like, it was just, it was just so it, he, he could have just taken the steps becoming a a a dominant organization with assets, and he completely just screwed the whole thing up in one day. <laughs> he surely, surely did. Well, I wasn't expecting you to to raise the Casparitis trade, but okay, I, I get it, I get it. Um, but I have to say, um, the Luongo trade was the absolute worst trade. Worst trade he ever made. I mean, we discussed it. We talked some what ifs. It's and the I wa- worst trade in NHL history, bro. 
It's up there, pal. It is definitely up there. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, you talked about what, what they could have done, what could have been. Now, if they had have stood pat with Luongo and Jokinen, right, and they just drafted Danny Heatley, that's it. Yes. If they had or it just – like, or- I'm even putting aside that whole Kevin Weeks trade, right? Like, let's just say, you know, he still trades Weeks for whatever reason, okay? Mm-hmm. And but he, but he hangs on – he hangs on to Luongo and Jokinen. Now, you have Luongo on the pipeline because he still needed a couple years to, you know, become Roberto Luongo, okay? Right. But I'm looking ahead to 2002 here. You get Luongo on the pipeline. He becomes, he, he ends up being what Di Pietro was. He was waiting in the wings. You know, he probably would have ended up up there with Osgood or Snow, whatever the case may be, eventually. But Danny Heatley, you would have had Danny Heatley. He was a 67-point player as a... As a as a rookie in 02. That was when he came into the league that year and he put up 67 points. That was the year the Islanders had their resurgence. And then mm-hmm. the following year, Ole Okunen became a 65-point player in 2003. And then, obviously, he went on to have an even better career, just like Heatley did. But that's look at it right there. Look, they, All they had to do was hang on. Hang on to Luongo. Hang on to Jokinen. You bring in Heatley, and you you add that to the mix to what everything else that he still could have made every other deal that he made beyond that. Now, granted, maybe drafting position would, positions would have been different and what have you, but like th- technically, it had no effect on you know any any other assets, any other pieces he ended up using in the deals you know that came afterward. So if he was able to right. build something similar in that next summer. You know, bringing in Yash and bringing in Pekka, bringing in O'Coin. You also would have had Heatley and Jokinen and Luongo in the mix added to that. And what what could that team have done over the course oh, of those please, years? Please, I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, there's no question. My God, my God, Ugh. just the guy. It, it, the guy no did question. not know how to get out of his own way, even when he showed even just a glimmer of hope that maybe he was finally making a decent, you know, deal or you know, heading in a decent direction. He just could not get out of his own way. He would blow it all up. Yeah, because he always try to reinvent the wheel instead of just continuing to build and to add. And Again, there would always be something ego, that was like, ego. oh, we don't need all these prospects and we don't have this and we need to do that. And when, it was always, it was never having the, conv- the conviction of this is my plan, this is what we need to do. You know, like, you know, this is why we need to do it. It was never any of that. It was always, you know, it was always changing some kind of course. And it was always somebody else's fault. It was, it was, uh, it was management's fault. It was ownership's fault. It was this one's fault. It was the coach's fault. It was the player's fault. It was, it's always somebody else. It was never him. It was never his discussion. You know, it was never his, never his problem. He never did any of that stuff. Yeah. And I'll tell you, of all the years that Millbury was was in charge, there is only one story that I've heard that 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 actually made me smile, and it was just it, it, it's a, it's a hysterical story. I don't know if I ever told you the story, but proceed. I heard the story about Millbury that um, it was after one of these weekends. Um, I don't know if it was after the policy trade or whatever it was, but he was at the Islander offices and the guy, um, 
the guy, uh, the Islander fan known as Goldie. Oh, yeah. Showed up at the Islander offices. Oh, God. And he shows up, and he's berating the receptionist. Oh, wonderful. At the offices. Great. He was in plain view, and he's like, I want to talk to that son of a bitch, Milbury. Get him out here. I want to talk to him. Bah, 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 bah. Oh, stuff, God. Right? So Milbury is in a meeting somewhere, and he hears that this is going on. So he comes out, and he's standing in the lobby, and he's letting this guy get his, you know, get his 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 two cents, you know, is his, get his money's worth. Yeah, and he's telling him, "You don't know what the hell you're doing. You're screwing up the whole team. You're getting rid of this. You're doing that." And Milbury stood there, and to his credit, he took what this guy had to give. Yeah. After a few minutes of taking this, you know, the abuse, Milbury has had enough. And he starts taking off his jacket and he starts, he starts rolling up his sleeves. Oh boy. And he goes, are you finished yet? And <laughs> Goldie stops like in his tracks. He goes, yeah, I'm finished. He goes, good. He says, cause I'm about to kick the shit out of you. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I had never heard I, that story. I, I heard, and I, I got this from an impeccable, person that would 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 that told me that story oh yeah and it was just such and i was like yeah that is completely milbury taking one of your fans and threatening to beat the shit out of him in the middle of the office because he came in to give you his two cents so that's funny that is my uh that is my my mike milbury story and i believe it to be true like i said the person i heard it from was uh definitely in the know at that time. So that's funny. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he did have a colorful personality came out quite a bit and it was entertaining. Unfortunately, it didn't overshadow all the bad that came with his tenure, but I mean, I'll never forget the village idiot quote, uh, for Palfy's agent when he was negotiating his contract. And, uh, Mm -hmm. he said in the paper, (laughs) what was his name? I think it was like, um, Paul Krause or something like that. It was very similar to the player, Paul Cruz that they had, but, Anyway, Paul Kraus, I think, was the guy's name, and he said this guy is depriving some small town, some small village of a, of a good, good idiot. idiot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That how was about, a gem. How about the one where? Without the, how about the one where? Um, where the Rangers had signed? Uh, I, I forget who they had signed at the time. I don't know if it was Scott Gomez or whoever it was, and he was complaining that he doesn't have the corporate jet. He had to take the corporate bicycle to sign the Ferraro brothers from uh, Long Island. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> that was another one that he had the, the, during the two thousand during that two thousand and one playoff, uh, two thousand and two playoff series against Toronto when he grabbed all the media, brought him into the video. Yeah, room. I was going to bring that up. Talking about the the, the, uh, the McCabe, McCabe and the can, can opener. opener. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. going to bring that up. Yeah, I will say, yeah. you know, look that that two thousand team was his pinnacle, right? I mean, that was the the height of the Milbury era, and I've said it ad nauseum on this show multiple times. But you know what? If if Pekka and Janssen weren't mauled during that first round, I really think that that team could have went at least you know to the finals. What what they would have done against Detroit in the finals uh, <laughs> that remains to be seen. But who knows? But but I really because th- look, I don't know if you remember, but that was a big upset year for the playoffs. Boston got tossed out in the first round by Montreal as the eighth seed, mm-hmm. and then you had the seventh seed Ottawa ended up uh, moving on to the next round. And that's who the Islanders would have played in the second round. And yes. 
And I'm sure you remember heading into those playoffs when the Islanders were were fighting for, um, you know, positioning and whatnot, where they could have won the division um, ahead of Philadelphia. That's who ended up getting bounced out by Ottawa, or they could have they could have ended up in the sixth spot and played against Carolina. Who, if you remember their division back then when it was a six division league, it was referred to as the South Least Division. And yes. Carolina ends up with the three seed only by way of being the division winner because they only had ninety one points. They actually would have been the seventh seed if they just did, you know, one through eight based on points. So they were right. only the seventh best team in the conference. But they end up getting, you know, the three seed overall home ice. They end up upsetting New Jersey, who was the sixth seed. Okay. Right. Because remember, there was a debate. I, I'll never forget. They were even the media was even asking the Islanders when it was when it was really down to the end, and they were talking about jockeying for, posi- for position. I know at least one guy they asked was Chris Osgood, and they were like, "Hey, you know, you know, you look at the potential matchups heading into the playoffs. Any thoughts on, you know, maybe dropping down a spot so you can play Carolina because they're a weaker team?" And he's like, "Absolutely not." He's like, we're, "We play to win. Wherever we end up, we end up. But we're, we don't, we don't, you know, um, you know, throw games or anything like that. It's something to that effect, you know." Right, but um, you know, funny enough, it's it's Carolina who ends up, you know, going all the way to the dance, right? But their path, mm-hmm. if they had gotten through that Toronto series, their path would have been Ottawa and Carolina after that, right? You if know? they were clearly better than those oh teams. yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt, you know, I mean, clearly. Yeah, and, and maybe, who knows, maybe the Islanders would have suffered a similar fate of Toronto just getting the hell beat out of them in that first round. You know, they got, they limped through Ottawa, but then they just, maybe they didn't have enough, you know, when they played Carolina. Uh, or who knows, maybe the Islanders end up matching up better. Obviously, it doesn't matter at this point, but... You also got to remember that Osgood was pretty banged up there in that series, and that's that was another reason why Toronto was even into it, because if he had been playing like he had played during the season, it would have been a much different, it would have been a much different series but you know, Osgood had been he'd been run over a couple of times. He was banged up, and, and in addition to losing Janssen and Pekka, you know, he was definitely not at his best. Right, right, for sure, for sure. And and you know, it's funny. I guess you know, just to to continue with the what if game. You know, let's say that they got through that that first round against the Leafs, and you know, let's say they get into at least an Eastern Conference round. Maybe, you know, they, they, they beat the Senators like the Leafs did in the second round, and they get at least mm-hmm. to the Conference Finals. Maybe they don't make it to the Finals. Maybe Carolina beats them in the third round. How much differently do we as fans look back on the Millbury tenure if, if that squad made it to, like, a Conference Final? Does that change the perception at all, even a little bit? You know? Uh- it depends on what he would have done afterwards. Would he yeah. have kept the same team? Would he have just added to it? Would he have... Right. You know, I mean, it, it, there's so many questions there. One of course, of course. can't undo nine years of complete mismanagement, and he did so many stupid things yeah. after that. Yeah. You know, those last three drafts were atrocious. You know, firing LaViolette after two years was just a, a poor a poor choice, you know? And then, and then going on TV and telling everybody that he lost the locker room, like, how could you? How could yeah, you, you know the guy that you just hired two years ago that took you, you know, from a team that was one of the laughing stocks of the NHL into being a, a perennial, you know, playoff team, and now all of a sudden, you know, a couple of your guys in the room say that you know you're you're not happy with you're not happy with the coach, and and so you fire him like just stupid, just, yeah. just stupid, stupid mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. never forget. I'll never forget after he fires Laviolette, 
um, he went on Mike and the Mad Dogs, and and you know those guys never used to talk about hockey, right. but um, but Chris Russo absolutely blasted Milbury. Said, "How? Why do you think that you have that you should be able to hire another coach?" Right. I remember. Yeah, we, we talked about this. Go on though. And he just was like, "What are you talking about? You know, of course I want to hire another coach because that's my job." And he and and Russo was basically was like, "Yeah, well, you know, you you hired five other coaches. You fired this was your this was your guy. You fired him." He goes, "Why? Why do you get? Why should you have the opportunity to hire somebody else?" <laughs> he goes, "Let's let's face it, Mike. You haven't done a good job here." And I was like, "Holy shit! Yeah, this yeah. guy who doesn't even watch hockey knows that he hasn't done a good job." <laughs> right. Right. So I it was yeah I, I I remember that conversation and I was you know because that was at the time again it was really you know it was it was early, you know, early internet days it wasn't really you know it wasn't a tremendous amount of content out there not like now where it's overload but you know you still would have to listen to the radio you have to wait for the uh, you know for the interview to come on to hear it in its entirety and it was you know my God it was so great yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember I missed that at the time. So that was that was uh, when you told me about that story. That's the first time I ever heard it. But uh, you know, I mean, good good for Mike and the Mad Talk man for giving him the business because yeah. it's a great question. I mean, for sure, he 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 lambasted him, and you could probably I think you could still find that interview online. I think someone has got it up somewhere. I, I listened to it not not too long ago a couple of years ago just because i think we had a conversation about it on the show and i was like i gotta go back and listen to that and it's definitely out there I'll, if i find a link i'll, I'll send it or i'll post yeah, it online on, yeah. uh, on twitter For but sure. my god it was such a great interview like he he was and and you know milbury you know he was so defiant when he would talk you know we, we talk about garth snow and, and the way that he you know he was during his time here but he was nothing compared to Mike Milbury. Milbury was just, he would just be, you know, whatever you were telling him, you know, he would just go, he would completely change it around just to, just to disagree with you. You know, I felt right. like he just, uh, just, uh, <laughs> he's just frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're spent, buddy. So many horrible memories. It's just, well, look, it's safe to say that, uh, his overall tenure was a, was an abject failure. It was a, it was a bad time, not only for for what he did with the franchise, you know, depleting the prospect pool. I mean, he left Garth Snow with literally nothing, and you know, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. What he did, but yeah, three three years of no draft picks. Yeah, I would say that he left him with nothing. Right, right. But I mean, just look, we we <laughs> we covered the, all the moves in depth why they were awful and and why this guy's tenure was bad. I mean, look, you know, we talked about the fact that he he just also had I guess the bad luck of 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 having a really challenging stretch of owners as his bosses for the time that he was there. How much different his tenure and career as general manager of the Islanders would have been different? Who knows, we will never know. But look, there was plenty of things that he was able to do without strings attached at his own accord that he completely just botched on his own, completely turned into disasters on his own. So, you know, it's it's difficult for me or probably anybody else to make a case for him and say, yeah, well, you know, if Milstein and Gluckstern weren't there, or if, you know, Pickett and Spano and, and maybe even Wang to an extent, Wong to an extent, you know, things would have been different. But how much different really would it have been? The guy's never gotten the job as a general manager since then. And I think that tells the whole story. 
you know, because it's not yeah. like he was old. It's not like he was past his prime. Job. Right. Exactly. I mean, his 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 career as a as a general manager in, in the NHL was forever over after that tenure. And again, all for you wipe out the decisions that maybe he was getting leaned on from ownership. Anything that he made, you know, on his own accord were, you know, speak for themselves, awful. And it was just a total failure. And it went on way longer than it should have, just like the guy after him. And, you know, that has a lot to do with the the, the owner that was in place at the time. Mm-hmm. So with that, Tony, do you have any last words on the Mike Milbury era before we wrap this epic show up? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I think I'm, I'm pretty much. I've, You're I've satisfied. Been, the demons are exercised. Yeah. You got it all no, out. But they're not. No, 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 no. There's no, there's no exercise demons here. There's, there's, <laughs> I've gotten. I, I've, I've had to relive a whole frustrating decade of my life. So. <laughs> well, well, we shared in it together, Tony, in our, in our own way. But we're still alive. We got through it. And if nothing else. It helps one to appreciate the current set of circumstances that the Islanders are in, the current set of hands that they're in, right, with Malkin and Ledecky as the owners, with Lou Lamarillo as the general manager, and Barry Trotz as the coach. It is a far, far cry from that time period for the New York Islanders, and, and I'd like to think that there are more good years to come out of, out of what they got going on now. I would hope so. Yeah, I also would hope so. So before we wrap, just wanted to acknowledge some some people in the Islander community who have been uh, doing a great job, you know, um, during these tough times, extending themselves, extending their efforts to to do you know just do their part and and help out out there. And, and I'll start with Brendan Burke, obviously the the play by play. Uh, announcer for the New York Islanders, and he's doing um, these videos for charity where he's uh, he basically you just kind of tell him what you want him to talk about and you pay a fee and he's donating all the proceeds to uh, to charity uh, for people that are you know suffering you know having a hard time with the the coronavirus and everything that's going on people that you know need meals you have the you know the medical staffs and stuff like that that are out there that are busting their asses working ridiculous hours trying to help people save people's lives so you know big credit to Brendan Burke for doing that. And uh, our pal Devin over at Yesman Outfitters, he teamed up uh, with Donald Rosner over at the the Blue Line Grill, that new place that you were telling us about that opened up over in Huntington. You said it was a great spot. They're making food to donate to um, to the medical staffs here locally that are you know working around the clock trying to help people out. And Devin got involved, and they were they were selling these these rally towels. If you know the Rangers suck, oh, not the Rangers. If you know the silhouette of the Rangers shield, <laughs> suck. Wash your hands. And they sold over 1,000 of those towels, and all of the proceeds of sales for those towels went to the meals getting getting delivered to you know all the the medical staff that are helping out. So big credit to them. Um, really appreciate what those guys are doing and helping out in the community. And and obviously want to you know anybody out there who has the means. I know this is a tough time, but if you happen to have the means, you know please you know get involved, donate to whatever causes that you can. You know a lot of good things going on out there to help people that are that are suffering, whether the people people and their families that are that have been affected by the virus directly, or you know these great medical workers who are working uh, around the clock trying to help people out. No question, bro. I mean, I, I, I know people who are in the medical field, you know, I see you nurse, uh, friend of ours that I see you. Yeah. I see, uh, 
ICU nurse in uh, Winthrop, and uh, you know I have plenty of family and friends who are you know police officers and firefighters, and you know these people are still going to work and, and doing their their normal thing, and 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 they're trying to do everything the right way and and keep people safe and 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 make sure that the that people are comfortable and, and try to, to deal with this as best that they can. And, uh, you know, it sometimes it gets lost in the shuffle, what, what everybody does. And, and Devin and Don, um, have done, uh, some great work. Brendan would, you know, doing the cameo videos cameo. I yes. Mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's so, it, it's so great to see. And, you know, these guys, they have their own things to worry about their businesses and, and, you know, their own families and, and the fact that they're doing all this, this, this work and trying to show their appreciation to people is just, is just, it's beautiful to see. And, you know, we've talked about it and even, uh, I, you mentioned, uh, I don't know if you saw this today, but, uh, Brittany Grice has, yep, uh, yep. on Twitter that, uh, you know, that, if, you know, don't hesitate to, to contact them if you, if you're, you're struggling or this or that, or, I mean, it's just, it just, it's just amazing to see, um, you know, people come together and try to, you know, help out wherever they can. And, uh, I, I just, I give, I give people, I give these people a lot, a lot of credit. They're, they are a tribute to this Islander family. And, uh, you know, we, we definitely should be looking at them and, and seeing what they're doing and then, and try to, you know, and help out, I guess, as, as if it's possible that you can do as much as you can, because, these people are definitely there that would be there if we needed it. So we should try to as, as best that we can be there for them. No doubt about it. And Tony, let's wrap things up, pal. This has been an epic, buddy. We almost went three hours. Oh my God. Yeah. So credit to you for sticking it out. <laughs> credit to the both of us, I guess. And credit to the listeners out there. If you made it this far with us, we really appreciate it. Remember, stay safe out there. Keep social distancing. Look out for each other. Like I said, if you have any means through these difficult times, please uh, do what you can to help out because there are a lot of people out there that are that are hurting, that are struggling. And of course, we really appreciate appreciate you guys taking the time out to listen to us. We hope we've we've you know provided a little bit of a distraction during these tough times. So, folks, remember you can always follow us on Twitter at Hockey Night NY. You can follow Tony at Tony Stabile. You can follow myself at Shawnee Hockey. You can always check out all of our shows live or for the archives at HockeyNightNY.com. And if you enjoy what you have been hearing and listening to the show, please subscribe, rate, review at your favorite podcast providers. We really appreciate it. For Tony Stabile, my name is Sean Cuthbert. We will see you next time.